Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Life with Lizzie show. This is your host, Lizzie Morris. Uh, gosh, you guys, I have tried uploading this a couple times or like recording it, should I say. And honestly, I <laughs> the whole story, everything is so crazy. Like, honestly, when I think back to to the whole pregnancy, the birth, the postpartum, everything, it feels like a movie. It feels like it was just so out of what I had. I didn't have expectations, but what I had assumed would happen. And I feel like I'm not even telling the story as well as it just plays off in my head, like how crazy everything was. And so I feel like I'm kind of going to disappoint some people. Like the birth story is quite insane, but I don't know if it's as crazy to other people as it was for me to experience it, I guess, you know. Uh, if you don't know my backstory or anything like that, I assume most of you do if you're listening, but those that don't know or are new, it's the first time you're listening to me. Like I said, hi, my name's Lizzie. How are you doing? I am a two under two mom, a plus size mom, a mom on a health journey and all these different things, a birth advocate. And uh, the way this all started was when I went through infertility uh, to get pregnant with my first son. So I was like 21 something like that when we started trying uh, for our, to, to start our family. And I was just super overweight. I mean, I still am, but just at a, I was about a hundred pounds heavier than I am now and not taking care of myself, you know, not, not doing anything. I just got off birth control. I had the Marina IUD. I had to get that surgically removed because it embedded in my uterine wall. <laughs> like I just had a wild ride for, for my fertility. So because I was so overweight and knew it kind of, a lot of it came from that, you know, for me personally, I just, I knew, I knew that the inflammation in my body, my cycles were off. I mean, I was miserable. I could barely take care of myself. My body would not let me get pregnant. You know, I, how could I take care of a baby? I was struggling. So, but still infertility was still hard. You know, everyone around me was getting pregnant. And I just remember feeling like my, what's wrong with my body? Like, why is my body not doing the one thing that I feel like we're supposed to be able to do? Because growing up, you always hear that. You always hear that, you know, you have sex one time, you're going to get pregnant. And I had been on and off birth control since the beginning of my relationship with my husband. And at the time we had been together, I think five, five or six years, we had been together since I was 16. So we had been together a long time. And that's why, you know, even though I was only 21, you know, I had felt ready. We had been married for two years. I was like, you know, i want to start a family. It took us about two years to get pregnant with our firstborn, Anakin. Eventually, I had lost about 50 pounds and started just really taking care of myself. And boom, got pregnant uh, relatively quick when I really, really, you know, invested in my health, should I say. So then I, you know, went through my pregnancy with him. I was around 320 pounds um, still. So Sometime in the pregnancy, I had developed gestational hypertension. With that being said, especially with just my weight and all these other risk factors, while my doctor never sat there and explained it that way, I've pieced the puzzle together and understand like what was going on. And because of that, I my doctor wanted to induce me at 37 weeks. Now, besides the hypertension, obviously they had me coming in um, for NSTs multiple times a week, biophysical profiles, constantly trying to find something else be wrong. Nothing was ever wrong. And thankfully I never had like blurry vision or headaches or swell. I never had an ounce of swelling at all. Actually, I never had protein in my urine. They, they had me do a 24 hour urine sample um, where you collect your pee for like over a day. 
And, um, you know, so I never had any of the other symptoms, but I guess it was more of like, you know, let's, uh, handle this before you do go into labor, blah, 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 whatever. Me not knowing anything, you know, I knew I didn't want an epidural for reasons just that I I knew my mom had told me recovery was easier. Um, and I didn't want it to affect like my postpartum essentially is just from the stories I'd heard. So with that being said, um, you know, I, I did want a natural labor. Um, it was just something I knew I wanted and I just didn't have all the reasons and facts and the, the thoughts to kind of like back it up. So when my doctor told me, you know, we're going to base what we're going to do, it wasn't an asked question. It was a telling me what we're going to do. Um, we're going to induce it 37 weeks. You know, I immediately knew I was going to have a C-section and, you know, I just knew I knew in her office that day I sat there and I sobbed and sobbed and sobbed to her like I don't want a c-section I don't want a c-section I don't like I I just I want a natural birth I don't want to have to do all these extra things and she pretty much scoffed and said that's really not going to happen and I kind of just felt like I had I mean I didn't I didn't have a voice for myself at that time I didn't know how to just say no I didn't know what my options were in fact I wasn't presented any other options so we went ahead with the 37 week induction. I came in the day I turned 37 weeks. Um, you know, I have a whole, I'm pretty sure a whole podcast episode on my birth story. And if not, I do have a YouTube video on it. We don't have to go into all the details. Long story short, we started the process Friday. Um, I had my son Monday morning via C-section because I, you know, went through all the things. We did the cervical ripening. We did the Pitocin. We did a Foley bulb or Foley catheter. Um, I got to five centimeters. They broke my water, uh, never progressed. I was stuck in bed. Um, Pitocin contractions kicked my ass and that, that was that. So I ended up with a C-section with him and, you know, in the moment, uh, God had like a piece. I had like a blanket of peace over me in that moment, uh, you know, leading up to the C-section. Cause I just kind of, I, I just kind of knew like, what else are we going to do? And I mean, realistically from the time that they scheduled my C-section till it was, there was like seven or eight hours. Like there probably could have been things that could have been done. I don't look back and really think too much about it now. Cause I'm, I'm grateful for the experience. I'm grateful for everything that I learned from that and what path that my first child's birth really set me on for the rest of my life. But it it was it was traumatic. You know, not only this was peak COVID, this was September of 2020. Um, you know, the whole pregnancy, I never saw any of my care providers, not my nurse, not my doctor. I never saw their faces. You know, they're all wearing their caps and they have their masks on. So I'm seeing eyeballs, you know, I'm just seeing sets of eyes. That's, that's all I'm seeing on these people. And so we go to the C-section and you know, what was really, besides the fact that it just wasn't planned, you know, I, I didn't go into the hospital planning to have a major abdominal surgery. Um, I did have expectations for my first child. I had a lot of expectations, um, with, with everything. Cause I just, I just thought my body would just do what it was supposed to do. And, and, uh, you know, but sometimes if your body's not ready or for whatever events occur, like, you know, things just don't pan out the way we envision, especially when you don't have the right education and tools in your toolkit, which we'll talk about later on. But anyway, it was just, you know, walking in there. Um, I just remember, you know, the room is full. It's like 20 people. Um, I can't see anyone's face. 
you know, I don't really know who is who besides like my doctor and like whatever nurse was on staff at the time that had been uh, giving me my medication. Like, you know, they gave me some like anti-nausea stuff and um, I can't remember what, like antacid or something before we went in for surgery. And I remember the anesthesiologist just turning on his music. I can't remember what music was playing, but you know, I wasn't asked. And these are the problems that I had. I think, you know, that some of the trauma stems from just all of it combined really, but you know, they're playing whatever music they want to play. I wasn't asked, you know, any kind of comfort measures that could be done for me when my doctor and whoever was helping her with surgery go to start doing surgery. It was like, I don't even remember my doctor saying hi or anything to me, honestly. And they start talking about COVID and start talking about work and like whatever, whatever is on their mind while they're, you know, cutting me open and bringing my child into the world. And I do remember trying to say something to somebody like multiple times and like nobody either was listening or nobody could hear me probably because the damn music blasting. Um, And they didn't bring my husband in until like seconds before my son was born. Like my husband almost thought he missed the birth because it had just been so long uh, before they finally pulled him in and thank goodness he wasn't there. Um, But I was just there alone on that table you know, um, in this room full of people, but I felt so alone and that this is supposed to be such a special time for me. And no one really what it felt like, no one gives a shit. We're just talking about what we're having for lunch later and, and how whatever, what the rest of the plans are today and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I just felt like I was there, but I wasn't a part of the experience. I was, I was just the incubator and, So they get my son out, you know, take him over, check him out. They bring him to me for like a minute or two and then they whisk him away. And I told my husband, you know, I I didn't know what was going on. I didn't plan for a C-section. I didn't know how these things worked. I didn't, you know, I'm numbed up on a table cut open. Like, I don't know what to do. So I just tell my husband, I was like, go with him, leave me alone and you go with him. And so they take my son and my son was fine, by the way, he was completely fine, but they take him to the nursery and, um, you know, he was there for three hours. I, he was born at 7.59, I believe. And we didn't see him till like 11 o'clock. Um, I guess COVID bullcrap really was always the excuse for anything that kind of happened at that time. Um, and so we, I ended up getting, they, the, for my recovery, they gave me a wound vac. And I don't know if you guys know what that is, but essentially like this, I'm not going to describe it well, but just this stuff they put over your incision to kind of like help drain everything out. Um, And so I had this thing attached to me for like three days after having the C-section and I was like attached to a pole and I had to constantly push this pole around because this vacuum thing is like constantly draining all the pus and blah, blah, blah out of the incision. But, you know, so, so that was the birth of my, my first son. And I know i didn't plan to like go into detail about it, but you know, that led into postpartum where, um, he had a insane lip tie. I didn't know nothing about lip ties. I didn't know nothing about breastfeeding. I didn't know anything. Um, breastfeeding ended up being like so mentally just mind effing me. Like I would constantly cry and stress because he didn't want to latch and he got jaundice and we had formula and it just, the whole experience with him. And I'm the reason I guess I bring all this up before we even get into the next baby is because what I've learned from what my experience has been this second time, really the cause of all the trauma with the first is just feeling like I had no say so that everything was being done to me. Everything was being told to me 
Like there was, it was never any consent. There was never any, you know, when they plan, when they scheduled my C-section, they did it in my sleep, even though it wasn't for like another six or seven hours. Like it wasn't even like, Hey honey, you know, things aren't moving along. Like we're going to have to schedule or like whatever, you know, it was just felt very out of control. And while I understand that in life, we can't always control everything. And especially when it comes to birth, like you can't, you can't control everything, you know, we don't have that power, like it, but we can have informed consent, we can have questions being asked, you know, we can have options being given, instead of just being like, here's what we're going to do, like it or not, this is what's going to happen. And just like even just the fact of my son being separated from me, I still will never understand that. And I don't think about it too much anymore. But it's just like, I had a really hard time bonding with him. I just felt like of, I didn't feel as much as my body had failed me when it came to the C-section. I, I felt more like, and I hate to say it, I felt victimized. I did. Um, I felt like, I hate to say taken advantage of, that's really not the right term. But like I said, I just felt like things were just done to me. And I was just this child that was just being, like, I don't know, decisions were made for me. And I I had no choice when it came to bringing my children in this world. And I just didn't like that. But when it came to breastfeeding, I definitely felt like my my body was broken. I felt like, you know, because me and my son were separated that, you know, I just couldn't bond with him. And I felt like shit about it. I felt really guilty not feeling like I could bond with my child. I knew I loved him. I would do anything for him. I would freaking jump in front of a car for him. You know, I knew I would do those things, but I didn't like feel bonded to him. And that was an expectation I had. I had expected that as soon as my baby was born, I was going to cry. And it was just going to be this magical moment you see on TV and it wasn't. And so, you know, postpartum with him was really, really difficult. I cried a lot. Um, I didn't feel as depressed as I did feel very, very anxious. Like my anxiety went up insanely, which I believe was not only due to just all the births experience, but I was on Pitocin for days, you know, they give you Pitocin, um, I'm pretty sure during surgery, uh, and all that. So, um, I, I believe a lot of it had to do with that. Um, but also just everything else combined with it. And so I was very ragey. I remember just feeling kind of like out of control of like, out of control of how I acted. And I just, I don't like feeling that way, you know? And it wasn't until my son really started showing his personality around like, you know, six to eight months that I, I finally felt like I could bond with him. And it was around that time, you know, July, June, July, summertime of 2021, that I finally felt like I had, had kind of gained my sense of who I was back. I didn't feel as anxious all the time. I didn't cry as much. I didn't feel as ragey. I felt like I could actually hang out with my baby and feel like we could really enjoy each other's presence. And I wasn't so stressed about him eating, you know, because even when we quit breastfeeding and even while I had been trying to make breastfeeding work, you know, and he was, had been on formula, you know, his first year of life, I would track his feedings. I would, you know, always be so, like I said, just anxious and over cautious with, with everything. Cause you know, the hospital had told us like track his feedings and, um, time them. And every time they would come in, they would be like, uh, how long did he eat on this side? How, what time did he eat this? And I remember just taking that grain of salt and like sticking to it and basically just tracking all his food, tracking his sleep, tracking his diapers. Oh, I just stressed myself out so much and, um, it was just really hard. So it wasn't until that summer, like nine months postpartum ish, somewhere around there, 
but I finally felt like I was taking my son out. I was doing all these things. You know, I had started a new business. I was seeing a lot of success in my business. Oh my gosh. Like with my work, I was, you know, had all these good friendships. I mean, just things were going really good. I felt like in my life, you know, last summer was a great summer. I will always remember last summer. My brother was at my house. Most of the summer, me and him would take my son out and go to the park. We would go to museums. We would go on picnics. Like we would just, we were doing things, you know, and I finally felt like a good mom. And, uh, shortly, (laughs) shortly after that, I got pregnant. It was not planned. Um, And, you know, I always knew a lot of C-section moms, not all, I don't want to claim this for a lot, but for the ones that, you know, go on to try for a VBAC, um, who have had VBACs or anything like that, a lot of times you will hear the same thing that during surgery, a lot of times we know right then and there that we are never, we never want to go through that again. Um, like that we're going to go for a VBAC. I mean, that's, that's what you hear very often. And like I said, not all moms, I don't want to claim that, but I've heard that time and time again. And that was me. Like I knew realistically, probably even before I was wheeled into surgery, I think I remember when I knew I was going to have a C-section, I was like, this is never going to happen again. You know, and obviously I, I didn't know for sure, but I was like, I, I will do everything in my power to like, to not have this happen again. And so before I had even got pregnant, you know, um, during that postpartum time, I remember I had had conversations with friends here and there. And, um, you know, I had friends that were pregnant after me and going through things. A lot of my friends have had C-sections and, um, just conversations I had with Nick, my husband saying, I, next time we have a kid, I don't care if I can't find anyone to support me, I will birth this baby in the backyard. That was literally the quote I would say, and I know that sounds so crazy, but that's how traumatized I refuse to just willy-nilly go up into an OBGYN office and just trust an OBGYN again. Can't go through that again. I can't trust that the system has got my back. I, you know, so um, I found out I was pregnant in August and, uh, you know, Anakin wasn't even one yet. I was still making formula bottles every day. (laughs) He couldn't even walk yet. You know, just to a mix of emotions. I I knew, thank God, I didn't get pregnant any earlier because um, my children are 19 months apart. And basically, where I live, it's really difficult to find a provider to... um, Honestly, it's hard to find a supportive provider to take you on for a VBAC anyway. Um, But on top of that, it is really hard if your births are less than 18 months apart. So I remember thinking, thank God I didn't get pregnant any sooner because, um, you know, I I would not be able to find anybody. Now, I'm not the one to think that um, VBAC is any more dangerous if your births are like 16 or 17 months apart. It's just that's just the common thing where I live. So I had a friend, Caitlin, um, she had hired, we ha- there's a local home birth midwife that lives in our area and she had hired her for her last birth. I had reached out to Caitlin and I was basically like, you know, this is basically my only option. And it wasn't, but it was the only option I was willing to like look into, you know? And so I got in contact with the midwife, um, you know, me, Nick and Anakin, I'm like five weeks pregnant. I got in real quick. Uh, we go to a consultation and I'm like asking her a bunch of questions. You guys, I went in with a, and it's somewhere in my house. I still have the paper of all the questions I asked her. The answers I got were 
were good for my standards. So I was like, cool, we're going to do this. Well, if you guys don't know, like insurance does not, well, at least most insurances doesn't cover like a home birth midwife. I think some will reimburse you, but a lot of them don't cover that, you know? Um, so we knew that we were going to have to pay out of pocket for like all my care. What happened was (laughs) I actually did not end up from, so I saw her at five weeks for a consultation, right? I had to reschedule my first real appointment up until 17 weeks. So I went the first trimester, um, with essentially no prenatal care. Like I had contact with them, but we, I had never had a, a visit, um, because it's a, it's a long story. I don't even know how I would have been able to handle going to an appointment because I was struggling to just live and breathe and exist that whole first trimester. So thankfully they were okay with me pushing off those appointments, but it got to a point that they texted me and they're like, is everything okay? Like you keep changing your appointment. And I was like, look, my next appointment that I have scheduled, I'm coming. I promise. And then the money, finally, I was able, just all this bull crap I got through, was able to get the money transferred. I was sick as a dog. Seriously, uh, I just, I think my body did not have time in between babies to really, uh, like I said, it was right before I got pregnant that I actually felt like a normal person again. And that was a very short, brief period of time. I went through a prenatal depression really badly with this pregnancy, especially, like I said, in the beginning, because it was just my life, everything was going so good. And I remember, you know, I didn't, I, I hated feeling resentful of this baby. Like when I was super early on, I remember like, I obviously, I was like, I can't be mad at the baby. I can't be mad at the baby, but man, I was mad. I was pregnant. I was so angry because a couple things, not only was I feeling like crap, right? Um, I felt like I could not, I could not be the mom that Anakin deserved. I really had a lot of mom guilt because I spent the majority of Anakin's, the beginning of his life, you know, the first six, seven, eight months really not enjoying our time together. Of course, like I loved him and, you know, we did bond and we cuddled and, you know, I took care of him and all the things, but I didn't, I didn't feel the way I had wanted to feel, I guess. And I didn't feel really confident in being his mom. And I kind of like, it's so stupid, but I know other people that I've talked to have said the same things that I kind of wondered if he loved me and it's so dumb, but I did. And so I spent a lot of that time not enjoying things the way I wish I would have. I had a good two months and then boom, from the time he was a year old to the really the last month of pregnancy, because I feel like the last month of pregnancy was probably the best that I physically felt. I felt like I couldn't enjoy Anakin all over again because I was so sick. I would be on the couch. I remember feeling hot, you know, throwing up would make me feel so overheated. And then it would be like a couple minutes later. I don't know if it's like my blood sugar would drop or something, but I would get cold sweats and I'd start being freezing. And it was just this constant thing of I couldn't eat. I couldn't drink. I felt like I couldn't make Anakin food. I was being so lazy and sloppy with the food I was making him. And, um, you know, he was, he was such a healthy, healthy eater. And then just throughout pregnancy and all the things, um, I really slacked on that. And I I hated that. And I could not do any of my social media stuff. You guys, that killed me. That really sucked because I felt like I was doing so well. So I felt like a lot of things were just kind of like ripped away again. And not only that, the other thing was with the birth trauma from Anakin, I, so like I had researched a little bit about VBACs. Like, obviously I knew, I knew I was going to have a VBAC next time, or I was going to try, you know, that that was what the goal was. But I 
really like when I would join the VBAC groups and stuff, anytime I would see like a repeat cesarean post, I, I couldn't read it. I was triggered. Anytime I saw someone's birth story not work out the way they wanted to, I mean, I, I wouldn't read it. I was just, I, I did not want to address the, the trauma. I didn't want to think about it. I didn't want to really research all into it. But when I found out I was pregnant, I was like, well, girl, you, you really got no choice. You have got to figure out, you got to learn. You're going to have to research. You're going to have to do all these things. Cause I knew that was the only way I was going to get remotely anything close to what I wanted was to have the facts in my back pocket to research, to feel confident in my decisions. I really didn't do much research in the beginning though. Like I said, the first trimester, I really just was basically surviving. Like later on in the second trimester, um, I ended up getting the flu <laughs> around Christmas time. And that's really when like, so it wasn't until kind of like later on in the pregnancy that I finally just had the mental capacity to like start researching stuff like in depth and started telling myself, okay, you're going to have to read the repeat cesarean posts. You're going to have to read the posts of things of uterine rupture. You're going to have to, you know, I know sometimes we try to like block out all the negativity and to an extent I was, but um, at the same time I knew there's always a possibility of having another C-section. Like I had to be realistic with myself. I had to sit there and have like a real, real hard talk with myself. Like you're going to have to expose to everything. So right around the time uh, I got the flu, the first time in my life, man, I go through two pregnancies during a pandemic, damn obese, all these health, you know, supposed uh, health factors that should really you know, knock on wood, you know, whatever. I should have got COVID by now. Never had the flu in my life. Get the flu. <laughs> and while I'm like, I think I was like 26 weeks pregnant or something like that. Some, somewhere, somewhere close to that. And so I'm at my mom's house because it's like Christmas time, you know, while I had the flu, I mean, oh, it was so bad. You guys, I not, you know, I was already throwing up my whole pregnancy. Y'all know this. I was sick every, every freaking day. But this was so bad. I had such a bad cough. I was throwing up so much that I I kept peeing myself. I peed myself so much while I had the flu. It was, I felt so disgusting. And not only that, I would throw up like every couple hours. It was so hard on my body. And then my son, he was kind of sick too, but he wasn't like, he wasn't on my level, you know? And, um, but I remember having to like pick him up. It was like three o'clock in the morning. He's waking up feeling like crap. I take him out on the front porch. It's like December, but it wasn't freezing cold. And I'm like rocking him on the rocking chair. And I'm like, you know, six, seven months pregnant, something like that. And I'm just like, oh my God, just going through the motions. And I just remember thinking, man, this pregnancy has whooped my damn ass. Like not been sick the whole time. I get the freaking flu. I'm feeling dehydrated. I end up going to the ER because at this point I wasn't anywhere close to home. You know, I'm at my mom's house and I had thrown up so much. I'm like, I need fluids. Like I feel so dehydrated. I can't keep food down. I can't keep water down. So I go to the ER and uh, they don't give me any fluids. They... <laughs> They gave me a Zofran, which I don't take, and um, they sent me home. <laughs> but as I was recovering, I started watching a bunch of documentaries. And that's what I did basically when I couldn't fall asleep um, and I was feeling like crap. I just I went in my mom's living room and uh, ordered a couple of, uh, of documentaries off Amazon and started like going in the Facebook groups and started searching like what kind of mo like documentaries or videos can I watch what kind of books can I read like all of this stuff and so I watched a couple documentaries like um 
the business of being born. Oh, I'm not going to remember you guys. I'm not going to remember all the names. I mean, I watched like five or six though. There's plenty of them out there. I watched, um, a, bre- a couple breastfeeding documentaries that were so interesting. I just remember like being obsessed with like learning about all this stuff and finally being like, okay, I can't like let the trauma hold me from like learning all this stuff because how else am I going to like get through it? So that's when I really started researching and oh, I totally skipped something. I got in a car wreck like right before this too. I, everything ended up being fine. That's something else that I got rear ended on the way to a midwife appointment and thank God my son wasn't with me. So my husband's car, his truck was in the shop. Okay. At this point, his shop, his car or truck went in the shop around Thanksgiving. This is like December. Um, so because we only had one vehicle, my husband was taking my car to work while I was at home. Well, I had to go to this appointment. So Nick couldn't go to work because he didn't have a car. So he stayed home with Anakin and thank God Anakin was not in the car because that just, I'm sure he would have been fine, but I'm just really, really grateful he wasn't. But yeah, so I got rear ended. Um, I mean, I was fine. I didn't end up going to the hospital for it because I felt okay, but it totaled my car out and I ended up getting a new car for my aunt. I bought a car for my aunt. Um, before I went back home. So that was a blessing in disguise. All worked out. We needed a family vehicle. So this is like, I think, uh, the flu, like after getting over the flu is when things started getting like progressively better, but there was still a lot of crap that like happened. You know, I ended up, uh, getting food poisoning, (laughs) um, a couple weeks later, uh, at like 35, 36 weeks that landed me back in the hospital because I, and I was literally, I threw up every hour for like a day straight. And every time I would throw up, it was like everything out of every hole in my body. Like I was basically peeing myself and I was like, had to go to the bathroom. And so I was like mega dehydrated and I knew I was, I couldn't keep water down. I couldn't, I just kept throwing up and throwing up and Oh, it was so rough. And so I went back to the labor. Well, at this point I went to labor and delivery because I was so far in pregnancy. I was like 36 weeks. So that was like the gist of like all the sickness and stuff. But something that happened in between then that I just totally like blanked on for a second. There were some things that like popped up with my midwives like throughout pregnancy that I, you know, I knew with a doctor it would, it would have been a totally different experience. It would have, I mean, I'm grateful for the experience I had with my, my midwives. And I'm so grateful that I had prenatal care with, you know, holistic minded midwives. I really, really am because I could not imagine of going, just going through what I like the whole pregnancy with any other person, honestly. Um, however, there was, you know, some things, obviously I had my past trauma with providers period, even though they were, you know, holistic minded and they were midwives. And I knew that at the end of the day that they wanted to see me have my V back just as much as I did. Well, probably not just as much, but you know, they wanted it for me too. Um, I remember having like mega trust issues with them. Like, my first, a lot of my first appointments, I mean, obviously I ended up not seeing them to like 17 weeks, which, so we missed like two or three appointments in between then. But I remember just not feeling like we vibed well. And I remember getting scared, like, uh, did I make the right choice hiring them? But I was like, but who else would I, like, what else would I have done? You know, I was like, I'm kind of nervous that they're going to risk me out and all this and this, you know, nothing had came up yet, but then my fundal height uh, started measuring really far ahead. They wanted to send me in for a growth scan. And then I, 
I wanted as minimal interventions as possible. I'd been researching, you know, that at, at the point that this had popped up, um, I had already been engulfing myself. I started reading the books. I was watching the videos. I was just stalking the Facebook groups, like just finding any resource, anything that I could, any person, any story listening to, oh my gosh, I can't tell you how many hours and hours and hours I've listened to podcasts. Um, and I will put a lot of these links and, um, resources in the show notes for you guys, because I really would hope any mom going for a VBAC or a home birth or shoot, even if you want a repeat cesarean or whatever the kid, whatever your birth plans are, it's, it's still so important in my opinion to know your options and to know what you're, what, what's going on. Um, it feels so empowering to know you, you are in control of these decisions. It really does. Um, but anyway, so my fundal height started measuring ahead. Now this was something I had not planned for because hear me out. My first doctor never measured my fundal height, which everyone is so shocked about when I told my doula and I told my midwives, they're like, really? It's like, yeah, no, my, my first OBGYN never took my fundal height and I never asked questions about it. Cause I was like, I don't care. So, um, so I didn't even question or think that fundal height measurements could like bring up things. <laughs> so this was like a whole new ball game for me. So I start going and searching all across the internet about fundal height measuring ahead and what could this mean? Like, what are the possibilities of this happening and this, this, and this? And I think what we were kind of assuming the reason I was measuring ahead was possibly like high fluid, which didn't end up being the case, but um, so they wanted me to go get a growth scan. And I was like, look, at this point we were getting to the every two week appointments. So I was like, can I come in for like another fundal height measurement before we just go ahead and schedule this thing? And they're like, sure. Cause I was like, what if it's just like one wonky measurement? Well, it consistently towards the end of my pregnancy, basically until like the last few weeks when he dropped, um, I was consistently measuring super far ahead. So I was still measuring super ahead and I, they were like, okay, so we really need you to go in for this, this growth ultrasound. And I like broke down and sobbed in their office because I just, I was like, you know, I, I get why I I understand why they, you know, technically, Oh, I got a fussy baby. Hey buddy. Um, you know, they got to do their due diligence, but it really, what was conflicting in my head, um, and not, you know, justifying it, just explaining it, just that, I, I knew nothing was wrong. And I know it seems crazy. Like, how do you just know nothing's wrong? Like, I really tried to hone into my intuition with this pregnancy. Um, and I think probably not seeing a provider for a couple weeks and um, really just having nothing else to do but focus on my pregnancy and, like, just just learn and educate and, like, figure out what it is that goes on in the body and, like, how to properly give yourself the right nutrition and all these things. Like I started to feel like I really felt in tune with my body and I really didn't feel that way with Anakin. Like I said, just besides the fact that I didn't bond with him, I didn't feel like I I had no sense of intuition, should I say, when it came to pregnancy and motherhood and stuff with, with my son. I just, I didn't have that yet. But with Benjamin, um, I really, I really had to respect my intuition and not ignore it. If anything, even if I was going to go against it, I was going to speak my mind. And I did go against my intuition many times for the sake of like keeping care with my midwives. I cried because I was like, I don't want to look for something that's not there. Cause you know, I had the 20 week anatomy scan, everything was fine. And I just remember thinking like, I I told myself, I was like, I'm going to regret going to this ultrasound. And I did, 
but now I don't and I will get into that. It'll make sense. I remember thinking like, don't do it. Don't do it. You don't need to do it. That's your, it's not, it wasn't fear of like something actually being wrong. It was the fear of like something being perceived as wrong when it really wasn't. So I go get the growth ultrasound. I'm like 35 weeks or something like that. Um, I get the food poisoning like the next, so I go Friday for the ultrasound. We go out of town that weekend, get the food poisoning. I'm in the hospital by Monday. And, um, then that following Thursday, almost a week later after the scan, you know, I just went and got a scan. I didn't go see a doctor or anything. I got the ultrasound and I left. And I remember asking the ultrasound tech, I knew she couldn't tell me everything, but I asked her, I was like, so is the baby measuring okay? Like, is the fluid okay? She's like, yeah, the fluid's fine. Baby's measuring 60th percentile. I'm like, okay, cool. Like I was expecting if anything was to pop up, they were going to say, oh, your baby's measuring really freaking big and you have a lot of fluid and that's going to risk you out. And then that didn't happen. But what did happen is the next Thursday comes around. You know, I was feeling great before before that day because I was like, oh, we're like the ultrasound, everything ended up fine. Like I'm going to have my home birth, you know. So I'm 36 and a half weeks, something like that. And I get a message from my midwife saying, um, hey, did you schedule that follow-up appointment? Um with the with the MFM because that's where they sent me a maternal fetal medicine specialist and I was like uh no I didn't know they wanted me to come in back in a few weeks like why why do I need to and she she said well we just got the report back and I and I start freaking out you guys I was on such high alert this whole pregnancy I was anxious my chest felt like an elephant was sitting on it 24 7 literally not kidding my chest was tight all the time he was in my freaking ribs on top of that and I'm sure just all the pressure I just I was on edge I felt in fight or flight mode I felt like until I got past this birth I had a hard time trusting pretty much anybody um I felt very protective of my energy because I was like one small slip up can I felt like could ruin all my plans they said they got the report back well I didn't get the report so I asked my midwife I said can you forward me that report and I look at the report and like everything was fine. It just says at the bottom, like we suggest a follow up in two to three weeks, which like every doctor does, right? You know, I start crying. I'm like freaking out. I'm messaging multiple of my friends like, uh, like why I don't want to go back. Like there's no reason to go back if everything was fine. So I asked my midwife if we could get on the phone because I remember just thinking like, this is not a good conversation for texts because I'm freaking the fuck out over here. Like I'm literally freaking out, like in over my head, having like a mini panic attack literally on my back porch while thank God Anakin was taking a nap at this time. So I get on the phone and I was like, can I decline going to this? She's like, well, you can, you can decline anything, but you know, it would make us feel more comfortable if you went. And I was like, so why would I need to go back if, everything looked fine. She's like, well, it's just good to get like a comparison or whatever. Like, you know, on the, on the report, it says, obviously, like I said, everything was fine, but it did say the, there was a couple things they couldn't fully see of the baby because not only was the, was I 35 and five or something the day I got the scan, but it also said on there, cause it said due to gestational age and mother's like basically that I'm fat is how, but they don't say it like that, but it's, it's, that's what it means. So I, I told my midwife, I was like, you know, I'm only going to get bigger. The baby's only going to get bigger. And I just don't see how this is going to be helpful. And so she's like, okay, like whatever. So I wasn't going to schedule it again. So I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. You know, my, my, um, 
my home birth visit was coming up that Monday. So this is Thursday when, when that conversation happened. My home birth visit was coming up Monday and that's where they come to your house and make sure you have all your supplies because I was going to be 37 weeks. Friday is coming around or Friday morning, afternoon, something like that. Anakin's napping. Same, same thing as the day before. I'm like, in my kitchen on the floor cleaning under I remember exactly what I was doing I was cleaning under the sink because I was just nesting to such an extreme that I was like organizing every like little inch of my house I get a text uh from my midwife again saying hey we spoke to the MFM and uh they can squeeze you in to be seen on Monday like for a consultation blah 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 and I Holy crap, when I tell you the worst panic attack I've had, at least in years and years and years, because I just felt sideswiped. And again, I don't want to say this to bash my care providers. I think a lot of these things that happened was a really, really crappy lack of communication and just not really fully thinking of of it. I mean, I would hope and pray and assume it was never malicious so I don't say this to just bash them, but it just is a part of the journey that really stressed me out towards the end and caused me a lot, oh, a lot of emotions to come up. So, and this was something I never shared on social media when it was going on because I was like terrified and you'll, you'll hear why. So I went from being able to decline it, nothing's wrong to now I'm, I need to go on Monday, the day of my home visit. I don't even think I responded for like an hour or two and I called Caitlin <laughs> Caitlin girl oh so grateful for her because I call her and I'm like sobbing like screaming into my shirt like freaking the hell out I felt so bad just screaming in her ear but I'm like what is happening like what's going on so I finally messaged her back my midwife and I said um something along the lines of you know I thought everything was okay um, am I missing something? Nothing was abnormal because I had the results of this ultrasound, you know, nothing was abnormal. Nothing was wrong. Like what's, what's happening. And she responds back. Well, there, what it may appear or something like that. I don't remember exactly how she worded it, but she said, um, that, um, you know, they couldn't see the left side of the heart that good. And that could possibly mean um, hypoplastic left heart syndrome, which is absolutely an abnormality. And the baby would need care right away after birth. And all this, it was a long novel of just stuff like that. And I, mm -mm, when I tell you even more of a panic attack, like, now my baby might have a left heart syndrome. So of course I go and Google it. Like who wouldn't, right? And yeah, if your baby has hypoplastic left heart syndrome, they, they got to be whisked away to surgery pretty immediately. And it's like not something to play about. And while, again, I promise I knew in the back of my mind, I knew in my heart, I knew the baby was okay. But I felt like you can't tell a woman that her baby might have some heart syndrome and like expect me not to just, I would feel negligent at that point if I didn't at least figure out, you know? And I, I was like, I, that's when I said, I knew going to that ultrasound was a mistake. I knew I should have listened to my intuition. I knew I shouldn't have went. It caused, it opened that damn can of worms. And it's like, once, this is why I say like, I'm not, you know, it all happened for a reason, but once you open that one intervention, it's going to continue. It's a domino effect. And that's exactly what happened. And, um, so I, I'm just like, I, 
the whole weekend, I start thinking like, basically kind of beating myself up. Like, is it my fault if my baby has something wrong with their heart? Like, what could I have done differently? Like, what, I don't know what to do. What are they going to say at this appointment? So after we talk about all that, like we're texting, I'm like, okay. She's like, so they'll be calling you in about 30 minutes to like get your appointment scheduled or whatever. Well, the MFM never calls me. So I finally called them and I was like, hey, so I'm supposed to be getting an appointment scheduled for Monday, but I'm really confused. So I got this ultrasound at y'all's office and everything came back fine. But now my midwife, like I was just straight up honest. I was like, my midwives want me to come to, to see you guys. And I'm really confused. Like what's going on? Did something pop up that I don't know about? And th- this is, <laughs> this is another thing of the lack of communication that just really bothered me. And it felt really shady and whether it was shady or not intentionally, it doesn't matter. It really, I will never think that this was okay. What the scheduler tells me, she's like, well, you know, your midwife called us and asked if you, if we could get you in for a consultation ASAP. And I was like, what? Because the way it was worded to me was like, we spoke to the MFM. It it wasn't like, hey, we called the MFM and got you an appointment. It was, it almost seemed like the doctor called them talking about some like heart stuff. You know what I'm saying? And so it felt, when I found that out, I was like, this feels damn fishy. This just feels weird. I don't like how this feels. Um, and so that really bothered me. And I felt like I did, (laughs) I'll be honest in that moment. And honestly, for like a week post that, um, I did not want my midwives at my birth. I didn't want to go to an appointment with them. I just felt like it, I, I felt like my trust was just broken. Um, they had broken that trust, uh, right then and there. And I obviously felt a little differently as time went on, but I still will never think it's okay. So basically, um, I asked my midwife, I was like, look, can y'all go to the appointment with me? Cause I really don't want to go alone. But during the time I was being seen, they had another home birth visit. And so I got my doula to come with me, which Julia, thank you. It's just a consultation with the doctor. And I remember again, this, that weekend, as the weekend was going through, I remember thinking to myself, like, I'm not, uh, I'm not sure if they're going to know why I'm coming in because once I found out that my midwives were the ones that called the doctors and not the doctors calling my midwife's concern with something, I was like, I don't know why I'm going and I don't know what's going on. And that's literally what happened. We get there. Um, I get seen by like a nurse for a little bit and she was like, so what brings you in today? And I was like, I have no clue. (laughs) And she's like, well, we really don't know either. And so we were there for two hours, me and my doula. And and that was a great, honestly, I'm really grateful for that time. We got to talk a lot. Um, We got to, you know, really get to know each other more. It was like a long time we got to spend together. So I really was grateful for that time. But, um, you know, we had eventually an OB resident came in. And uh, like I said, we didn't even go over the ultrasound results. Like she came in, it was just like, so tell me your history. Tell me all these things. And so I go over it. I'm telling her like my history of my first child and like all the things in this pregnancy so far and like just answering her questions that she had. And then we get into, she said, so what are your plans for birth? <laughs> and I was like, we're doing a home birth. And so immediately it was like shot down. Uh, that's dangerous. You have a chance of, you have a higher chance of uterine rupture because you had had a C-section and we've seen moms come in with babies floating in their abdomen. Um, all this, like 
all these things. And thank goodness, like I said, my doula was there and she heard all of this. So it was not just me. She got to relay this to my midwives, thankfully. Um, and I honestly, I was expecting that type of thing. Thankfully, I went into it knowing the facts, knowing that my chance of uterine rupture is extremely freaking low, knowing how confident I feel in my body's capability of birthing my baby, knowing that just the scare tactics was like, that's just all it was. And I know that doctors and nurses and all the people that are in the field, they see the worst of the worst. They don't see the best of the best, unfortunately. And so, you know, they have a different bias and whatnot. But I knew, I knew my risk factors. I knew what I felt comfortable doing. And I knew I felt safer birthing at home than I did planning a hospital birth, you know. And I knew statistically it is safer. So that didn't scare me. It was disrespectful as hell. And I think it's so disgusting to sit there and tell a VBAC mom or any, just any mom that their baby's going to die in their abdomen and the womb, like that's, that's wrong. It's not okay. And if I didn't know what I knew now or what I knew going into that, should I say, they would have scared me into a repeat C-section. They would have scared me into all types of things that I wouldn't have wanted to do because of the language they used. But thankfully I came in prepared for that. I was more scared like, oh God, they're going to say something about the heart. Even though, like I said, I knew, I knew nothing was wrong with the heart, but I just was like, uh, you know, that's, that's the one thing. So then a second doctor comes in, like the actual main doctor comes in and it was literally the same thing. And this is why it feels so scripted. And maybe it was literally one woman had came in with a uterine rupture and a baby in her abdomen. And God even knows if it was a VBAC mom because <laughs> newsflash, anyone can have a uterine rupture. In fact, the only one that my doula has ever seen was a first time mom that had never had a scarred uterus. The second lady comes in and she says the same thing, but she was, she was more intense. I will say she said the same thing. She said, uh, we've had a baby with no heartbeat. The mom got here too late, flowed in, in her abdomen there, but they both, they even did the same hand motion, the way they put their hand on their stomach. It was like, I swear it was like, they were taught that she's asking me like, uh, about my first birth, about how big my son was, about like why I had the C-section, blah, blah, blah. And she said, because I was failure to progress, because I was failure to progress and my son was eight pounds, one ounce, that I was setting myself up for failure going for a VBAC. Um, and that it was extremely dangerous, that they don't recommend it at all. Um, and yada, 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 yeah, the list goes on and on and on. And I just sat there and said, mm-hmm, okay, okay. Because I knew it wasn't worth arguing and I knew that there wasn't anything that I could do um, or say in that moment that was worth saying that would change their mind. You know, it's like you say what you want. I, I'm confident in myself. So then we bring up the ultrasound. Nothing's coming up about the freaking ultrasound. <laughs> nothing's coming up. My fundal height at their office was 37 weeks. I was, or I think 38, it was 30. I was measuring one centimeter ahead. So my fundal height magically was amazing at their office. Um, you know, heartbeat, everything's great because I do all that, the vitals and stuff. Um, ultrasound doesn't even come up. So, so me and my doula are kind of sitting there and I'm like, okay, so, so everything was okay with the ultrasound. She's like, yeah, everything's fine. <laughs> so I didn't, it was just uh, like, thank God, right? Like, thank God his heart was okay. And thank goodness everything was fine. And I'm glad it was, but it was just more like a punch in the gut when it came to my midwives that the hypoplastic left heart syndrome was never said by a doctor. And so I felt like I don't feel like my providers had 
jurisdiction to bring up that type of diagnosis with no, nothing to back it. There was nothing on that report saying that. And like I said, the, the doctor didn't give a shit about the ultrasound. She just thought that I, I mean, it was just, she just said we were going to die basically and whatever. And so that really stung. I really, that was just one of those moments, um, towards the end that I just, you know, I'm 37 weeks at that point, And I felt like that was not cool. And, you know, my, I, I was in therapy. There's something I didn't mention. Um, I had started doing therapy around like, I think 28 or 32 weeks, somewhere around there. And I'd brought it up to my therapist and she thought it was totally valid that my midwives did that. And so maybe in another sense it is, she said, um, you know, that's a second set of eyes looking at something. And so if they see something that's triggering them and they're the ones help, you know, going to be there, then, you know, they do have jurisdiction or whatever to like, you know, look into it. But the issue and the forever issue will be, and this is something I really learned in my pregnancy, how so important communication. Oh my God, I'm a stickler for communication now because it changes everything that what should have happened in my opinion was they should have came to me like, Hey, I know everything says the, the ultrasound says everything's okay, but we see that they really couldn't get a good picture of the heart. And, you know, just based off things that we know or we feel or whatever X, Y, and Z, it would make us feel more comfortable as your care team to know, to rule out X, Y, and Z just to make sure that everything is okay. But it was, there was just, it was just out of the blue, hey, you're going to go to this appointment Monday, deuces, kind of. It just felt really, I didn't like it. I did not like it. And, and so that was the big thing at the end that really just did an emotional, a huge emotional toll on me. But like I said, everything in that appointment checked out fine. My doula was there and she was like, do you want me to tell them what happened? And I was like, yes. And so I was really, really grateful that she came with me because, you know, obviously I'm sure my midwives would have believed me. Um, but to have that second set of ears be able to hear how disrespectful and just how basically it was nothing about the ultrasound and it was all about um, just trying to get me out of a home birth that, you know, there was nothing to be worried about. And in fact, that my, because of my experience, my midwives will no longer be sending their patients or people to um, that facility um, because of, of how that turned out. And they, cause they don't, you know, it's not okay to, to fear moms like that. And it just, it was so disrespectful. And, and so, um, and so I, I, so my doula calls them and tells them everything. And it ends up being, we were at, at that doctor's appointment for so much longer than we were supposed, like it was supposed to be that my home birth visit ended up like it, it ended up being wait past time. So what we did was basically virtual. Like we get on zoom and just go over everything. Like, Hey, so do you have this, this, and this, like, here's what we would do if these emergencies popped up, like shoulder dystocia or breathing issues or X, Y, and Z. Um, here's how we would handle those emergencies. And so we did the home, home visit and, you know, I'm like, okay, and I, they didn't say anything more about the MFM. They did apologize. 
I will say that they did apologize for me basically sending me there. They're like, I'm so sorry that you had to deal with that. That's so not okay. And I'm like, you know, you know, it is what it is. And here's why, like, uh, now I can say, like, okay, I'm, like, grateful or whatever for it. Because now, you know, I would read stories of doctors saying those things to women all the time. Um, I had never been told directly um, from anybody um, that VBAC was dangerous. But I would read about it. Oh, my gosh. It happens all the time. And I knew it happened. I believed moms when they said it happened. It wasn't that I didn't believe them. But I think that I went through that experience. So I have that experience to share with other people that, yeah, they definitely do say those things and try to scare you out of it. And, um, you know, repeat cesareans are pushed very often. And uh, it's just that there's a lack of informed consent and a lack of information. So that happened. And uh so that was 37 weeks. So we just move on. And um, I think we're getting to the point where I start seeing them every week. And so I start, you know, trying to do things here and there um, to prep myself for labor. So something I had been doing, you know, on and off um, since like mid second trimester was drinking red raspberry leaf tea. Uh, I bought dates and they're good. Like I, a lot of people think that they're nasty. It's not that they were gross to me. I just didn't care to like eat them. <laughs> they're still in the fridge. They're not even expired yet. But dates are supposed to be good for cervical ripening. And if you guys didn't know, red raspberry leaf tea is really good for toning your uterus and it makes for more effective contractions during labor. I, started, I went to the chiropractor like four times before I gave birth. I actually started taking beef liver. That's something else I did. Um, I bought beef liver because when I got some blood work done around 34 weeks, I was showing like like signs of anemia and like my iron reserves were like basically non-existent being active like so I start I went to uh hang out with different friends like I would take Anakin to the park I would walk around you know I was trying to drink my water I was trying to eat enough calories I was uh you know just started pumping around 38 weeks but not like I would do like five minutes a day and I wouldn't even do it every single day so I was still going to therapy for a couple weeks towards the end and then eventually my therapist quit that's like a whole she didn't quit me she just quit working for the for the practice but um but then it got to a point where I really didn't feel like I needed the therapy as much anyway that I was kind of like working through a lot of the things um and we were kind of like past a lot of the major stuff 39 weeks came and I actually thought that I might be in early labor because I think I started to feel like they were, I was feeling Braxton Hicks on and off anyway, but I started to feel cramping down low. But it, I, looking back, I don't think it was contractions. I think it was more the baby like moving his head and like kind of like doing these weird positions, like trying to learn my pelvis and it would just make me cramp. But I remember thinking, oh, I don't know. I think that like I might be going into labor. It was when I left my friend Caitlin's house. I remember I felt some like weird pop, not like a water pop, obviously, but like I felt some kind of like weird sensation. I was sitting on her couch and then I started like getting cramping like kind of consistently. And on the way home, I also like driving in the car for like 40 minutes. I was getting this consistent like crampy feeling, but again, totally different from contractions. It was just very noticeable. And then they all fizzled out. And I was like 41 weeks comes around and uh, I have an appointment like that Tuesday so I'm like 41 and one and we have to basically at this point, like we only have like a little under a week left until I technically risk out due to like 
birth laws or some bullcrap in, in Georgia, we had to discuss our options. And there was a few. And so the only options in my head that I was willing to do was a membrane sweep and midwife's brew. And I didn't want to do it that day either. Um, and they were like, well, that was the one thing we were going to bring up. And it wasn't pushed on me. And this is kind of where, honestly, it was like the very, very, very end like right around this time is when I actually felt more trusting in my midwives. So they didn't push the membrane sweep or anything on me. They were just like, um, if you want to get checked, you can, but like, this is do, you know, whatever you want to do, it doesn't matter. I originally thought I didn't want to, I was not going to get checked. Like as far as like, I wouldn't want to get checked, but I was, cause I thought it would mentally screw me up. So I wasn't dilated, but I was, I knew, huh? This is where I tell y'all my intuition. I felt like I started knowing things about my body that felt really cool. So I had learned that your, your cervix can go from posterior to anterior, um, the closer you get to labor. And so what that means is your cervix goes from like really high to like in the back and to low in the front. And I just like had a feeling my cervix was really low. And so I told them, I told her before she checked me, I was like, I'm pretty sure my cervix is anterior, but you let me know. And it was, and that was like really cool that I just got a confirmation that like, oh shoot, I know a little bit about my body. I know a little bit about what's going on. I didn't think I was dilated. I mean, maybe a one if anything, but no, she was like, she could, she could fit her like the tip of her finger in the front, but like then there's like two parts of your cervix. I can't say it right, but she couldn't get it like internally. And so, but she said I was super soft. I was like 60% effaced or something like that. And so I was like, cool. Now I was like proud of my body. We had to do an NST that day because I was over 41 weeks and everything was fine. Baby was fine. I think I had like one tiny contraction on the monitor that popped up and then that was it. And so we didn't do the membrane sweep, obviously. And they were like, okay, so you need to come back Friday and do like have another appointment because you know, you're over 41 weeks and then, um, do another NST. So I leave and, you know, I had seen a lot of people talk about like NV back groups or birth groups in general, that it's good to do like some kind of like fear release. And like, once you do that, like you can usually like your body will go into labor sometimes because you might be holding like onto a lot of trauma or feelings of X, Y, and Z happening and blah, blah, blah. So I go home, Nick gets home not too long after I do my husband. And I don't know, we got in like a small argument over something stupid. And at this point, you know, I'd been, I, I, I felt okay with what the cervical check said and everything, but I was like, I need to do a fear release. And this was also my dad's birthday. This was May 3rd. Um, my dad that passed away, uh, that's his birthday. And so probably just a mix of emotions going on. I'm 41 weeks pregnant, like, you know, just all the things. So whatever kind of little argument we had, I said, screw it. I am leaving this house. And so I left Anakin with Nick and I got in the car and I drove downtown and we live near the Savannah river. And I went and sat on a bench by the river for a good hour at least. I, I felt kind of weird. I was like, what am I going to talk about? Like, what am I going to say? What am I going to do? But I just knew I needed to be near some water and I needed to just calm down and just talk. And so this might be a little woo-woo for some of you guys, but this is just me. So when I pray to God, um, a lot of times, especially like at the peak of my spirituality, like I talk out loud. 
Like, and I don't do it so formally where it's like, dear God, please get da, 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 da. No, I just talk like he is sitting right next to me and like, like he's my friend. Like, you know, God, I want him to hear me how, how I want to speak. And so I really felt like I was talking to God and my dad, like not as in the same person, but like that they were both there. And I was like, just, it was just like the three of us. And I was on this bench and I really, truly, I could seriously visualize my dad just sitting right next to me. Like I could just feel his presence. I could just, I could tell I was, he was there. And this was something I felt throughout my pregnancy, especially closer to the end, just as things progressed. And as I was picking up on my intuition and as I was finding the strength to just get through all this and I was researching, I was going through all these emotions and going through therapy and like figuring out trauma and all this stuff. I really started to feel my dad's presence around and keep in mind, my dad passed away 12 years ago. So I, I just started talking to, to them, should I say, and just explaining like how important this is to me. And like, I, I remember saying so many times, like, you know, I'm, I, I feel selfish or I feel bad. Like, is this, is this how I'm supposed to ask for the birth that I, that I'm wishing for is to just basically beg for it. But I was like, please just give me a sign. Like, let me know everything's going to be okay because I know that I'm capable of birthing my baby, but damn, I don't want to do it alone. You know, because if I was going to risk out of care, I I really don't know what I would have done, I guess, in reality, like how I would have went about it, what kind of conversations would have came up. But I remember thinking, you know, my midwife had even mentioned to me, I think they had maybe said this Friday. I know we're on Tuesday, but at some point they had said, um, well, you know, you might want to go ahead and schedule an induction with the hospital because, you know, you risk out on Tuesday. I was like, I, t- I straight up told them, I said, I just because I hit 42 weeks, I am not going to just go to the hospital and get induced. That's dangerous to me. It is and without getting into all of it, I just I knew my risk factors. I didn't want Pitocin. And I was like, no, if me and my baby are fine, I am not going to get induced. So at this point, I knew that they wouldn't legally they couldn't be there. And then I was like, I'm not just going to the hospital just to go to the hospital because I hit some kind of number if we're fine. So I really didn't know what I was going to do. And I just remember telling God, I kept saying, I was like, I know that you have a plan and your plan is, it makes sense. And like, there's a reason for it. I was like, but God, that's a battle I really don't want to take on. I said that hitting 42 weeks is a battle that I just, I am begging you, please. Like I just begged, please do not let me have to go through that because I have fought and I have fought and I've tried to figure this out. And that is just a battle. I'm, I don't want that. I really don't. And so not only was I, you know, just asking God of kind of these requests for how the birth was going to turn out, I, you know, just had this, what felt like a really, like a good talk with my dad, you know, telling them that just how important this was to me. And it was not to prove anything to anyone, but to prove it to myself and to know I can do this, how I wanted to take my power back. Like literally I knew that what I had been experiencing after having my son, all this anxiety and everything, like I knew a redemptive birth was really what I needed. I asked for a sign and let me tell you guys what was so crazy. Okay. So at this point, I had been, you know, feeling like Braxton Hicks, they would get more intense 
um, obviously as the weeks went by, but they weren't anything like crazy. And it was more particularly like when I would go walk and like exercise and got hot or something like that. And I had not felt like full, like a full contraction yet, like a real, real contraction. And it, I was sitting there on that bench and I started feeling contractions and I didn't know at first, at first I was like, ow. And it obviously wasn't anything crazy. This is, I did not go into labor on that Tuesday. I like, I had the contraction timer app downloaded on my phone, just like ready for when things picked up and I started timing it. And then they were like every 30, they were like 30 to 45 seconds and coming every four minutes. And this was like when I started thinking, oh crap, oh whoa, is labor starting? Um, And so it lasted, you know, the majority of the time that I was there and I just kept talking through it and, you know, trying not to think too much about that and just continue like doing this fear release and this praying that I was doing. And I get in the car and they continue in the car. And I start thinking, oh my gosh, whoa. And then it all fizzled out. And what I will tell you is that I believe that that was God. Like I asked for a sign. I remember asking, like, I need a sign that things are, and I didn't connect the dots that that was the sign. But what I believe that 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 was happening was God was kind of giving me like a heads up. Like, this is what it's going to feel like when it gets started. So when you start feeling this again, like, you know, things are, are happening. And so, you know, keep in mind, I had a cervical check that day. I wasn't dilated at all. Um, from then on, from Tuesday night to Friday, I had like very sporadic contractions. I mean, just very all over the place, um, not anything timeable, not anything trackable. So it wasn't even anything I was like really concerned with talking to my midwives about, um, But, you know, like there was nothing I felt like I needed to call them and be like, hey, I'm having these contractions. However, I could tell my body was starting to do things. Um, We ended up going to the chiropractor. um, Maybe it was that it might have been Wednesday. I think the next day after that, Um, my joints, like my hips were like super loose or whatever. Like you couldn't even hear or feel a pop. He said it felt like, you know, like he could tell things were feeling great. And that my body was like relaxing and doing all the things. And, uh, you know, I just, I made plans with people. I went, I took my son to the park. I tried to get out the house and then I had another appointment on Friday. So fast forward to Friday, we do another NST. Um, baby's doing great. I don't know if I mentioned that he did great on the first one. He was just really freaking active. He was such an active baby in the womb and he's still an active baby out of the womb. But we did the NST, you know, go through everything and we're like discussing our options. So they were like, do you want to get checked again? And I was like, yes, absolutely. And you know, I, I, it's just so crazy how I ended up doing things that I didn't think I would do. And it's not that it's not a bad thing. Um, I just ended up responding and reacting a lot better than I used to imagine myself. So I kind of thought I was at least a centimeter dilated. Like I really had had some confidence that I was at least a centimeter. I didn't really think I was anything past that, but I knew my body had been doing something. And I can't remember, see, this is where like timelines get a little foggy, but I believe I lost just a tad bit of my mucus plug 
um, the day before, like that Thursday. And so she checked me and I was a centimeter dilated. So I was like, yes, I was so excited. And this is why I've said this. I think I've said this multiple times in this record, like the recording so far, but when I felt my body doing things and when my body did things, I, I'm telling you, I always said, I am so proud of my body, like so dead ass. And even when something I forgot to mention earlier, you know, you know how I had mentioned I had gestational hypertension with my son. Um, you know, this whole pregnancy, my blood pressure was phenomenal. And I always, especially in the beginning, was really, really anxious about that, you know, because I just, that's when it started with my son. It started in the second trimester. And so I was just like, always scared when they would take my blood pressure. But every time that it came back good, I remember, I think one time I cried because I was just so relieved at how well, like my body was doing as far as the blood pressure goes. But then I remember telling them pretty much every appointment that, you know, they would take my blood pressure. And when it was over, I was like, I am so proud of my body. Like I would say that out loud to them every single time. And so she was able to do a stretch and sweep, which, you know, I fully consented to. And something that I really appreciated about this point was when she did the cervical checks and not only that, but when she did the, you know, the membrane sweep, she reminded me multiple times. She's like, this is your body. If you, you know, want me to stop, you need to, you know, tell me you're in control. Um, all these things she, and she was very, very gentle, uh, with the membrane sweep. Like, honestly, the cervical checks and sweep that she did was so incredibly like, painless like all my cervical checks with my first was just so painful I felt like I was being fisted like oh my gosh it hurt so bad and like she you know was able to stretch my cervix to about three centimeters which it doesn't stay that way you know once you leave but it helps getting the like prostaglandins released and all these things um if you are considering doing any type of induction methods like this or other things please don't just listen to my story and make a decision off that, I encourage every single mom to go, you know, do some research for themselves. There's multiple podcasts. Um, I, like I said, I will try to give a resource list in the description of this. And if not, I will post one to my Facebook and Instagram relatively soon, just to give moms like all the things that helped me prepare for this birth. But uh, I listen to a lot of, you know, educational podcasts and, um, research-based podcasts, like evidence-based birth, um, and listen to other people's experiences and just really felt, I did what I felt comfortable based on the information that I had learned, which was a lot. It wasn't just off of one person or a few people telling me their experience. It was me di diving into it and knowing my options and and knowing what I felt like was worth the risks and benefits to me. So I just want to throw that in there very briefly that, um, you know, I'm not giving advice telling you guys what I did. Um, if you ever want to do something like that, just please look into it first um, and do some research for yourself. So yeah, it wasn't bad at all. Like literally I didn't cramp afterwards. You know, you hear a lot of moms talk about they bleed because their cervix was irritated, that they're crampy. They start having like these painful contractions. Um, it, I did not even have, I had like TMI, like no discharge this pregnancy. Like I never had discharge. I barely, like I barely lost any of my mucus plug before I gave birth, like barely anything. I just, I never had any like spotting or anything like that. I had spotting with my son, uh, my first, but you know, it was just, so it was fine. But 
I will say, so that was Friday, like early afternoon, like 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock. And I was like, okay. So the next thing on my list of things to do was I wanted to do the midwife's brew. And you guys don't know what that is. It's castor oil. That's another thing. Please go research. I used to think it was, and I'm not telling you what to think, but I used to think it was like so dangerous because of these things I had heard until I, again, did the research and felt completely 100% comfortable doing it. And I'm really, really grateful I did. Um, so again, just something to look into, but so I'm like, okay, I got this, I got this membrane sweep. Uh, I had my, my oldest, you know, he's 19 months old. Um, I get us in the car. We went to the, uh, Sprouts, which is like a health food store. And I got, um, as much of the stuff for the midwife's brew as I could. We left there and we went to Walmart and that's where I got the castor oil from. And then, uh, I think we went full on grocery shopping while I was there. Um, and cause I remember coming home and bringing all the groceries in, which normally I don't normally when me and my husband go grocery shopping, like he brings all the groceries in and then he puts them away. But you know, I was like, I'm being active. I wasn't trying to like overexert myself, but I had a lot of things I wanted to get done. I needed food for the house, you know, before I went into labor, I basically told my husband this weekend's the weekend. Like it's just, it's going to be the weekend. This is going to be the weekend that this baby's coming. Like no ifs, ands, or buts, it's happening this weekend. So I get all these ingredients, you know, everything, I get it together. I come home, you know, put all the groceries away and put my son down for a nap and I make this midwife's brew. And you're supposed to drink it within 30 minutes. I think it took me like 45 minutes. And about 15 minutes after I, I finished it, I literally projectile vomited like really, really bad. Like all it. So I was sitting on the couch and I just started feeling the nausea come in and it was just so fast. It was faster than when I normally threw up in pregnancy. Okay. And I started to run to the bathroom because the trash can, I think was like too full to like be puking in, um, in the kitchen. So I start running to the bathroom and I projectile vomit all in the hallway floor. I'm still, by the time I get in the bathroom, it's all, I get it all on the back of the wall. I get it all over the toilet, all over the floor. I mean, I threw all of it up. A bunch gets in the toilet. Like it is, I, my throw up is everywhere. It is bad. Okay. So I, I mean, it was all gone. Nothing was in my stomach anymore. And I remember texting my doula. I was like, Oh my gosh, I threw it all up. And I felt fine. Like prior to that, when it just, it hit within seconds, I just threw it all up and then I was fine. Like I didn't feel like crap. I didn't get diarrhea or anything. In fact, TMI, I guess, uh, none of this should be TMI, but I didn't, I did not use the bathroom like at all during labor or during delivery or, and it took like two days postpartum to finally use the bathroom. So the castor oil did not give me that laxative effect. I'll tell you that. But you know, obviously this first round didn't work. I ended up actually taking another round. Um, so I didn't take that other round that night though. What I decided to do during the rest of the day, my midwife's, like I said, had this, that homeopathic remedy stuff. So basically I was alternating every 20 minutes between one pill of the, you know, black cohosh, one of the blue, and then pumping in between. And it was supposed to be this thing that, you know, can help your contractions start, you know, being more consistent because after the membrane sweep, like I said, I didn't have like some cramping and bleeding, but I did start feeling like contractions more consistently than I have been those previous days um, before that. So 
uh, they would be like every six minutes apart, then like 10 or 15 minutes apart, but they were definitely coming. They were a little stronger, but it was nothing unbearable, you know, at this point. So, you know, I was doing the pumping, I was doing those things and like really none of it was sticking. Um, so, you know, we're, I'm texting my doula, I'm texting my midwives, everyone's in communication with each other. I just told Nick to go ahead and take my son and dogs to my mom's house. Um, because like I said, I knew even though I wasn't in labor yet, I was having what I would call honestly Friday and the most of Saturday was prodromal labor. Um, cause it was like contractions were coming like real contractions eventually to the point like Friday night. Um, I was, I didn't get any sleep. I was moaning all night, every 10 minutes apart where my, my contractions were. So I knew this was the weekend. I just, I just had to have that faith. And so I was like, you know, let's go ahead and get the animals and, and my son, you know, get them to my mom's house. At some point I quit doing that, the homeopathic stuff. I was texting everybody and we were like, they, they said, just try to get some sleep. You know, we will pick back up tomorrow, see what we should try, but just try to get some rest. So Saturday comes around and, you know, I wake up and uh, the contractions slow down. Like they would come like every six minutes apart. But then I, like I said, it would pick back up to like 15 minutes apart and then like eight minutes apart and then 10 minutes apart. They were just kind of like sporadic to the point that they weren't trackable. So I decide to try the homeopathic stuff again. And none of that was really picking up. Nothing was really happening, you know, like nothing was picking up, but I was trying to have faith and I was like, uh, okay, I'm going to do midwife's brew again. But before I did that, they wanted, my midwives wanted me to take a nap. They're like, try to get some rest before you do that because, you know, like who knows where, where it'll go. So I got like a three hour nap having contractions in between, but I did get some rest um, in the bed. Uh, I woke up and it was like four, almost five o'clock. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do the midwives brew again. And my midwife suggested doing a double dose. So I, I did that. And what I decided to do, even though everyone says drink it within 30 minutes, I was like, I was terrified of throwing up because number one, I was running out of ingredients, <laughs> you know, using all this juice and this tea and, uh, the casserole. Like I, I, I didn't want to have to run around the world and like go buy more. So proceeding with caution, I took two full hours, no kidding, two hours to sip on that drink and get it down because I, I was not playing. I was not trying to throw it up because, you know, if you throw it up, it's not in your, your body to work. Me and Nick decide to go grab dinner. We go get Jimmy John's, which was so good. And we came back home, we ate for a little bit, and then we went on like a 15 or 20 minute walk, like around the neighborhood. Um, because I knew, I was like, let me just get my body moving just a little bit more. You know, I wasn't trying to exhaust myself that day, but I knew like maybe walking could just pick something up a little bit. So we go walking and I started to feel contractions like maybe every three minutes apart. We get back into the house and I decided to go take a bath and the bath is where the contractions actually started picking up, um, in the tub, like every five minutes apart. And, um, that was kind of exciting for me when I could tell that they were on like this consistent time. And that always got me really excited. I get out the bath. So my midwives and all them were like, you know, just try to get some rest. Well, not long after that, it was about 1030. And that's exactly when I could tell things were starting to pick up. Um, they, the contractions started becoming more close together, more frequently enough to the point 
where it was like noticeable they were lasting a little bit longer so at this point they all the contractions were lasting mostly like 30 seconds which those contractions ain't crap like compared to the very end i will tell you that now Whew. thank god for the build-up because you just you build up that tolerance to like handle intense pushing your baby out contractions you know so the 30 second ones were fine they started being about 45 seconds at this point um so like a significant increase you know like a 50 percent increase from what i was having before and just picking up an in intensity as the hour went by and so by 11 30 i i had a feeling like i needed to call them because it had been one full hour of this where i could tell things weren't changing anymore so like things weren't weren't going down they were just going up <laughs> So I call my doula, poor thing. She had only been, she, she texted me. She's like, I'm going to take a nap. Like, of course, call me as soon as anything happens. Um, but just, you know, I'm gonna have my ringer on, but I'm just, I'm taking a nap right now. And she had sent that message like maybe an hour and a half before I called her, but I could tell things were picking up. And I, I was kind of nervous at first when I decided to call her and my, my midwives, I was like, uh, I don't want to feel like the girl who cried wolf. Like I get you guys to come over here and then like stuff stops. Um, but my doula could tell like on the phone, like she heard me through a couple contractions and just, she was like, yeah, no, I'm coming over. <laughs> and so then we call my midwives. And by the time I had called my midwife, um, like, I feel like they had even picked up even more. And because when I was on the phone with her, I felt like I couldn't talk to her as much as I could my doula when, when I had called her. So, um, things started picking up. And I'm like, oh, shoot, this is it. Like, this is it. And it just felt so crazy. So my doula gets here not long. She lives like 10 minutes away. Now, my midwife that came over, she lives like an hour and a half away. So this was like around, you know, 1130 that I called them. My mid my midwife got here around one something, like one, one thirty. But my doula was here within like 20 minutes. It was really, really quick. So she gets here and, um, you know, I was like, do I need to keep timing these contractions? She's like, no, honey, you're in labor. And I was like, <gasps> I'm in labor. Okay. 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 This is where I think a lot of it becomes a blur because I will tell you, I think maybe I'd mentioned earlier that being in labor for me anyway, like it really, my perception of time was just completely off. You know, I remember the first time after I had checked the clock, whoa, that much time's already went by just because you kind of just go off into your own world. Like I've, I heard that so often and I never knew what that really was like because during like the what little labor I would call I had with my first, I didn't have the buildup of hormones, you know, I didn't have um, just the rest in between contractions to just to just rest and like my body just have a moment. It was just so different from what I had experienced the first time. And so, you know, with the contractions, um, something I will say that I really could not lay down. I could, I didn't want to sit on the birth ball. I didn't want to just be sitting and like laying down. It hurts so much. It's, it hurts significantly worse. So by the time my midwife got here, um, you know, they check the baby's heartbeat like every 30 minutes, you know, through contractions to see how the accelerations, decelerations, all the things are going. And every time I'd have to get checked. Oh, I dreaded it. I dreaded it so bad because I knew I was going to have to lay down on my back and lay still. Oh, and it was so hard. It was just incredibly difficult. And I'm, I really, you know, no one made me feel like I was being, um, you know, bad or like, 
that I wasn't cooperating or that, you know, I was just being this wild animal, but I felt like a wild animal. Like that's like the one word I would use to describe my labor that I feel was very primal. And I feel like I'm one of those people that just really had to just let my body do its thing because like, I couldn't even think of any type of affirmations. Like the only affirmation I could think of in my head was I can do anything for one minute. I can do anything for one minute. And so during contractions, not particularly when I was getting checked, those were more like, those were just the intensity of those were just way too much for me to, I I feel like I was not, I don't want to say blacking out, but almost like I just, those times are hard for me to even like recall because of how much it hurt. And I don't say this to scare anyone from a natural labor, by the way, I just say this because, you know, moving around in labor really did help and being on my feet and I just can never imagine laboring in a bed ever again in my life. I mean, I, I truly cannot. When I wasn't being like monitored, the heartbeat wasn't being monitored, uh, I would just say that affirmation in my head over and over and over and over again until the contraction went away. Basically, I made the same noises the whole entire labor until I started saying, I can't effing do this. I can't effing do this towards the end. Um, but I would do these little like, uh, I don't want to like fully do it now because uh, like uh, triggered, but, um, just these low moaning, groaning sounds. And that also like, you know, helped take the edge off just a little bit. I mean, not obviously huge significance, but as, as labor progressed and as, you know, things started to pick up in intensity, I did start to kind of like have more high pitched screams and my doula would have to remind me like low, low, low. And it does, I, I don't know how, Um, I know there's like some kind of science behind it that I'm pretty sure I've listened to in a podcast about just the way it's like pushing, it's helping your body, like, you know, push your baby out versus like screaming is like tension. So it did help. So some of the things we did, you know, she had me switch positions a lot, which is something I probably would not have done if I didn't have, or, you know, if I didn't have someone encouraging me to move positions, like as frequently, I wouldn't have done that. You know, of course I did like being on my feet, but I could have just stood in the hallway and just swayed back and forth. Like I would, I would have to, um, I liked bending forward a lot, like leaning forward and had my hands on the wall or on the counter and like shaking my hips a little bit during the contraction. Sometimes it would be hard. Like there were many times where I started to feel like just as time progressed, kind of debilitated. Like I couldn't like I couldn't do anything with my body. Like I just had to kind of like stand there and just let it like, let it ride. And then after like the peak of intensity came, um, as it started to fade away, I would just start moving my hips and it would just help. Just like kind of an outer body experience really where I, like I said, my body just had to do its thing. I I felt like I know my body and my uterus is me, you know, and they say, you know, the pain can never be, you can never not handle the pain because it is you, it is your body. It is, it is a part of you. It's a part of the process. Like it can never be more than you can handle, you know, definitely felt like it wasn't me, (laughs) definitely felt like my, like, just outer body, um, so, you know, I would go in the hallway, and be in the kitchen a little bit here and there, and, um, when we would go in the bedroom, like, one of the best positions for me was getting on my knees, like, on the bed, on my knees with a bunch, you know, I have, like, eight pillows on my bed, so, like, a bunch of pillows stacked up and like leaning over it. So that way, you know, in between contractions, I could get rest. Now I remember used to think like when I would hear people talk about that, 
um, getting like, or, you know, even watching birth videos and you see women like falling asleep in between contractions. I truly didn't know how that happened. And I would just think like, how could you just sleep in between that? Holy crap. That definitely started, it started to happen uh, as labor progressed, you know, um, early on, I didn't feel like I was getting rest. Of course, I was allowing myself to just lay there, um, hunched over the pillows, you know, that type of laying, it wasn't really laying. I was on my knees. Um, wasn't that bad. I mean, like I said, I knew I needed to try to preserve what energy I had. Um, cause early on in labor, I actually ended up throwing up all my Jimmy John's <laughs> like huge giant bowl full of throw up. And, um, so I had a complete empty stomach. Um, I had this handheld fan that my aunt got off my registry. And let me tell you, mamas, every, it's like a USB fan. You plug it up like with the charger. It is the best invention ever. It's great for labor. So what I did, my temperature kept changing during labor. And that's something I didn't, like I had heard about women getting the sweat, like the, the, the shakes and stuff like at the end of labor or like after birth and stuff like that. But basically I was alternating between being really, really hot and really, really cold my doula was telling me, you know, I would ask her kind of questions every now and then, like, is this normal? Is this okay? And it was really reassuring to have someone tell me like everything I was wondering or that I was going through was completely normal. Um, and you got to remember, like, these are professionals that have been to hundreds of births and, you know, they've seen like, this is, this is common. This is what happens. So I had this fan blowing on my face. Now that really helped because I was, you know, feeling more hot than cold most of the time having the fan blowing on me helped kind of keep the nausea at bay like because when i started to feel overheated is when i started to feel nauseous so i would just keep the fan blowing on me and that sucker lasted for hours man that thing did not die for about until i think seven hours in and i was using it constantly and so i just had the fan blowing on me and then i would cover up with the like I, my doula would cover me up with a blanket and then like during a contraction i'd start getting hot and i'd kick it off i decide i think it's like four or five o'clock in the morning like to get a cervical check this is the first cervical check that i got during like active labor and so at this point i honestly even though i'd been laboring for so many hours you know like six set like i said six or seven hours at this point i thought I'd be like only three centimeters, which even then wasn't a, you know, it was not bad. Um, but I just, I don't know. I, I thought I was three centimeters. Well, she checked me and she said four and just hearing like that number, I was like, Oh, okay, great. Like that felt again, celebrating my body. I felt really happy about that. I was so excited because my body was doing it all by itself. Like, Oh, it's so great. And then I think I was like the same effacement, but baby was at a, a zero station. So he had moved down quite a bit. And I believe it was at this point that I, some of the contractions are like just the, just even when I wasn't contracting, just in general, I was feeling a lot of like pain on my pubic bone. And I remember being asked a couple of times, um, like maybe two or three times throughout labor, if it was like, if I was feeling stuff near my scar, cause you know, I have a scarred uterus and it, I never did. Like I never felt any like burning or like you hear women talk about that, um, burning or stinging or ripping kind of, I, I don't know. There's like, everyone kind of has a different experience from if they've had any issues with their scar during labor, but I didn't feel like literally anything that I felt like was around my scar, like messing with it or irritating or hurting it but this was like a feeling on my bone basically and so even though he his head was engaged right there like she could tell his shoulder was like I guess getting caught like on my pubic bone and so when I would have these contractions it was like 
pushing on his, like his bone on mine. And it was really, really hurting. So we were like, okay, um, you know, obviously you're having these consistent contractions. You know, I was dilating, like things were, he was moving down. Um, but you know, a lot of times positioning can kind of, I hate to say stall, but you know, can make labor kind of be a little wonky sometimes because baby can't really get their way through sometimes. So, um, or like figure out the best path, should I say, sometimes they need a little assistance. So what she suggested to do was, um, I think we, we get in the bathtub, so we didn't fill up the birth pool just yet, but we go to the bathtub and, um, she runs me a bath and I was like scared to like sit down in the bath, you know, but I figured the warm water would probably help. And so what she wanted me to do was during contractions, like sway my hips back and forth in the water, go back and forth. And what she would do, and this is just where like, it's, uh, a doula just makes such a difference in these little moments. I, it really does. She got this uh, big cup of, and poured the hot water like over my stomach during the contractions. Because like I said, I, I think I had mentioned this at some point. I had no back labor at all. I kind of, mm, I don't want to say prepared myself, but like assumed I would have back labor because I had an anterior placenta. Even though I didn't really have much back pain during my pregnancy like that. Um, my mom had back labor and just all these things. So I kind of like thought in my head, I'd probably have back labor, but I did not. I felt everything like in the front of my uterus, like, holy crap. It was, I, I, I know people say back labor is worse, but I feel like because everything was in the front, there was really nothing. You can't really put pressure on the front. <laughs> There's, I didn't know what we could really do, um, but Anyway, so, you know, I, I was hoping someone could, you know, counter pressure didn't do anything for my back. But, um, but the hot, the warm water really, you know, that was one thing that did help. Um, I think I took a shower. Yeah, at some point I took a shower before this, like during labor, I got in the shower for a little while. We do, I don't know, maybe five contractions in the tub, maybe a little more. And she's pouring the water over me. And then I was like, okay, I think I'm ready to get out now. And something, oh, um, this is like, I think it's called a lift and tuck, but basically where you lift your stomach up and you basically are like holding your baby in your stomach, like with your hands, um, during the contraction. And that also would help position baby. So I actually did that. And that did, that was one thing that did help a lot, but keep in mind, this was the really, really main reason it helped is because his, his freaking collarbone or whatever, his shoulder was on my bone. I think we go sit on the toilet for a minute there. Um, and that's kind of where things started picking up, I believe, was like on the toilet. I started, excuse me, I started screaming, I can't effing do this because it hurts so bad to sit down. As Like I said, sitting down, laying down during contractions, not my jam. It was killer. And she was like, you can do this. You are doing this. Like that was something she kept repeating to me. Anytime I would say stuff like that, like you are doing this, you already are doing it. You're doing it right now. What do you mean? You can't do this. You're doing it now. So even though I felt like, no, I'm not, no, I'm not. You know, it was reassuring to have somebody just tell you that like, yes, you are. Yes, you are. It's like, how much, I think I said something like this, like how much longer do you want me to be on this toilet? And she's like, let's just do one more contraction. And you know, this again, things are kind of blurry in between because so much time would pass and I didn't realize how fast time was going. And so I I think three hours, two or three hours, it went by since the last cervical check, you know, between us going in the tub and on the toilet and all this and that. And I was, I think this is when I started to feel pushy, you know, like I wasn't actively ready to push or like my body wasn't 
actively like pushing him out, but the contractions, it wasn't just feeling contractions. It was like feeling contractions and feeling like pressure, like something's coming, wanting to come out. Like my body was doing it all on its own. And so I remember telling them that and they were like, okay, well, like, let's kind of like see where you're at. Cause at this point, um, I think it was like seven or eight in the morning, like seven o'clock in the morning, I think. And, um, you know, I've been laboring since 1030 the night before and really prodromal labor for the two, two days before. So, uh, I let her check me and I was seven centimeters and I remember being like, oh my God, I didn't even make it past that with Anakin. I was so happy about that. I was, I don't know if I was shocked, but I just remember being like, wow, I made it to seven centimeters. Like, holy crap. My waters were bulging like right there. I don't remember what baby's station was or anything like that. But, and I think as far as, far as effacement goes, I don't know, like maybe 75, 80% or maybe even close to a hundred. I mean, it was prog- a lot of progress had been made. And so I think it was all the, the positioning, you know, going on the toilet, like fixing his position, you know, keeping moving, you know, I got some rest. Um, at some point, this is something that is so cool. You guys, I did not know that this was a thing. Oh, it was, it was so cool to experience all this stuff. It really, really was. Um, even though it was so hard, but basically at, uh, one point, you know, getting close to that transitional part, um, around seven centimeters, like somewhere in that morning, I was back in the bed, um, you know, hunched over the pillows. And I remember feeling like I had fell asleep for a long time. And like I told you guys, I didn't know how women did it, but I was falling asleep in between contractions for a while there. And I, oh, I was shocked that you just can do that. But your body is doing a lot of work, man. My doula would keep me like sipping on stuff throughout labor, but I really didn't want to eat. You know, it's the last thing on my mind. I remember it felt like I had been asleep for a long time. <laughs> like it really wasn't that long in hindsight. It was like maybe five minutes, maybe. So I remember asking my doula, I was like, um, is this normal? Like, again, one of those questions, like, is this, a, is this okay? Like what's going on? She's like, yep, it's normal. Like your body's giving you a break. Like your uterus is working really, really hard right now. I think I was concerned about labor stopping. Like I was kind of scared labor was just stopping at that point. I had maybe a couple of uh, stretches in between contractions for a while there that my body was just letting me rest. And I thought that was so cool. Like I, I didn't know that the body would do that. Um, and that you could still progress because you know, like what you hear in the hospital setting or just like in general that, you know, your contractions have to be coming. And obviously they had been coming and staying and more consistent and harder and stronger, um, for hours and hours and hours as, as at this point, but it was just something I didn't know about, you know? So I thought that was really, really cool that my body was giving myself a little, a little break and it just knew what to do and giving my baby a break. You know, we were both working as a team at this point, like the pushy feeling just kept coming and wasn't going away. And so I was like, okay, can we fill up the birth pool? So they start getting the birth pool ready. You know, I go back in the bedroom, work into the contractions, and then it becomes time. We're getting time to check the baby's heartbeat again. And the, like, just at this point, you know, again, kind of blurry, but um, I come in the living room, you know, they're filling up the tub. I'm seeing the, like, (laughs) from the time I had asked for the tub to be, like, put up, you know, nothing was put up yet. And then, um... I come back out the room and it's like halfway full. I'm like, holy crap. Well, this is moving by. Like I said, time just goes by so fast in labor. I come, they want me to come lay on the, you know, the living room couch and, uh, and, you know, try to sit still for these contractions. And 
it was starting this is when things were just like i i kept i think this is where i started screaming i can't effing do this a lot and i said it multiple times and then i was like i felt very uncooperative and i felt bad but they 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 wanted me to turn on my left side and i guess at this point this is when things started picking up and obviously like I had my eyes closed most of the time during labor. Um, I really never like looked at anybody. Like rarely did I look at someone rarely did I even really talk. Like I said, besides when I had, you know, some questions or we were like reevaluate things, but for the most part, it was very quiet. Like we didn't have any music playing. I had it very silent in my house, just in my zone basically. And so I didn't see what was going on with everyone else. You know, I have my eyes closed and I'm like going through these contractions so she can get the heartbeat. And I'm just, oh, like my body's, I feel pushiness. Like I didn't know how else to describe it, but pushy, 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 pushy. And what Nick said was happening at this time. He, he said that he started to see how everyone was looking at each other. And at this point, the baby's heartbeat was going down into the 80s during contractions and it was taking a really long time to come back up and I think we had three dips in heart rate and then it was like okay we're transferring to the hospital I was just laying there and I you know I don't even really I can't even tell you what I really felt in the moment like because I did it was just it was so much was going on you know I'm in labor land like just trying to get this baby out and I'm going through the the motions of trying to like work through the pain then I couldn't really like focus and listen on what everyone else was saying, you know, I think they had said, you know, they're like, okay, go ahead and call the ambulance, call AU, you know, the hospital and all this and this and this and this. And I'm like, I don't know. I think I was just like, well, what's going on? What's going on? Like, I don't understand. You know, I'm just confused. She's like, your baby's heart rate is dropping. Um, we need to go to the hospital right now. And I was like, can I get in the tub at least? <laughs> <laughs> like before the before we go and they're like no this is like an emergency we have to go now and my doula this is like, I think the one point we had like actual eye contact like all night and uh, the ambulance <laughs> gets there relatively quickly and you know thankfully I had had a hospital bag pack just in case um so you know Nick goes and grabs the hospital bag um, I'm butt naked. Like I literally have no clothes on. I'm going through my contractions at this point, like I said, are feeling very pushy. The peaks of them is what I realized is that it's like the intensity just starts to last a lot longer. Like the peak of that mountain is just stays quite a bit longer, um, than earlier. And so what it, it felt like these contractions were lasting like a minute and a half or two minutes. And I think the most was probably like a minute and a half that we had got, but it just felt like they were staying forever and ever and ever. And I remember the ambulance getting here and, you know, I was trying to walk to the door and I got a contraction. I just had to bend over the counter and I just had to work through it. Like I, I could not walk through them things. I couldn't do, I just had to let my body do what it was doing. And so they put like, I have no underwear on some, I think we get a shirt on me or something. They give me my, like a uh, postpartum robe that I had ready for pictures and stuff and wrap it around me and we go outside and I have no shoes on. Okay. Like I didn't even put sandals on or nothing. I walk outside barefoot and I have to like work myself onto this, um, onto this gurney and there's, you know, like six people, like, I don't know, six people from the ambulance, like, you know, getting me, helping me on. And, you know, they're talking to my midwives and stuff. I don't, I don't know what the hell's going on. I'm just like cooperating. I'm just like getting on the gurney. Just not, th I mean, I don't, I didn't know what to think. I didn't know what to do. I think really though, I never had a huge sense of panic. 
I will say that. Um, I did remember thinking, okay, first off, if I'm not as dilated, like if I'm not close to like being done when we get to the hospital, my ass is asking for an epidural. And so like, listen, I do not blame women. If you have that, that, that drug right there during that type of intensity, I mean, it's very tempting to ask for it. I don't know how much longer I can go through this. If I'm already going to be at the hospital, like F it, like I'm getting some drugs. Like this is, this is intense, but I really did not think, um, like, you know, intuitively again, you know, I didn't really have the logical brain probably to think, but I, I didn't think anything was wrong. I mean, I knew something was going on. Like the heart rate was obviously dipping, but I didn't think that I thought I knew he was going to be okay. If that makes sense. I just, I knew in my heart he was going to be okay. I wasn't scared of like him dying or anything like that. And, you know, it is kind of scary, but to think about, um, if, if his heart rate wouldn't have came up, you know, it would have been really, really scary, but I, I didn't feel like, I didn't feel like we were in danger. I felt like we were making, I felt like, you know, my midwives were making the right decision. Like they had to do what they had to do. And I, I'm grateful that they did what they, they had used their best judgment when they needed to. So, you know, I'm in the back of this ambulance and man, let me tell y'all, this is where, this is where I feel like the story is just buck wild. This is where it like really gets crazy. So they put me in the back of there and, you know, one of my midwives comes with me. Um, so she can track the baby's heartbeat, you know, while we're in the ambulance, you know, Nick, my husband, he had to drive separately because he had to bring a car seat to the hospital. Cause like now we're going to the hospital to bring our baby home. Um, and my doula and the other midwife, you know, um, they had to empty out the pool. They couldn't just leave this ginormous pool in the middle of my living room filled up like unattended because I mean, even though no one would be here, like God, what if it busted? I mean, you know, like whatever. So they stayed and like quickly emptied the pool and like cleaned up. Oh my gosh. It was so sweet. When I came home, you know, they had made my bed and we didn't have a huge mess from birth. Obviously like we didn't use a bunch of towels and there wasn't a bunch of blood or anything like that, but they did make my bed and like cleaned up a little bit. And it was really, they moved the furniture back because we had moved all the furniture to fit the pool. And so I was really, really grateful that they did all that for me while I was, um, in the ambulance, but back to me, I'm in the back of the ambulance. So I have a midwife, you know, listen to the baby's heart rate the whole time. Um, the people in the back of the ambulance are starting to ask me questions and keep in mind, I am in transition at this point. I am somewhere between seven and 10 centimeters, like right there. And I remember one of those contractions that I, you know, was feeling very pushy and I'm strapped down. I, I remember asking them, can I move? Like we're, we're going like 90, I don't know how damn fast on the highway. That ambulance is shaking. I'm so unfreaking comfortable. I'm strapped down on my back going through this transition contractions. And I remember at one point I was feeling my body push and I almost, I kind of like pushed with my body and I wasn't trying to, but it felt like it felt kind of good to like kind of aid my body in that. But I was getting scared. I was like, I don't want to be pushing this baby out in the back of this damn ambulance like that. Uh-uh, not the vibe for me. I'm not doing that. They're asking me questions. They're asking me my social security number. They're trying to get an IV in my arm. They're taking my blood pressure. They got a pulse ox on my finger. <laughs> like the midwife's got the gel and the monitor on my stomach. I'm butt naked. I'm like, oh my God, like what is going on? The ambulance is just shaking back and forth. And I look out the back and you just see us like zooming on the freaking highway and oh so we get to the hospital and it's like as soon as we get in there you know and then that ambulance ride felt very I mean I didn't I didn't even think it was 20 minutes I thought we were in there for like maybe 10 minutes um but we get to the hospital and they are wheeling me into you know into labor and delivery 
And it's like, as soon as we kind of get into the ward, it's like people start piling in. I mean, 20 people minimum, minimum. And there probably was more in that freaking room. I'm not joking you. Ain't nobody wearing a mask. I mean, it was just crazy, like something out of a movie, what it felt like to me. And um, so they, they tell me to, you know, get off the gurney and get on like the labor and delivery bed. And I remember getting up and seeing like three tiny little like pink looking puddles, like super, super tiny. And I thought, I'm like, oh shoot, they're going to give me a C-section. I'm bleeding. Like blood is totally normal at the end of labor, but I was like, Oh no. And something I totally forgot to mention right as I was going to get checked, um, in those contractions that the baby's heart rate was dipping in. Um, I thought I peed myself. Actually, I had got off the bed. And as soon as I had like got off the bed, like on the blanket, I felt like I peed, like actually peed. not, it didn't feel like it came out my vagina. It felt like it came out my urethra. So I told my doula, I was like, I think I peed. And she's like, are you sure? And I smelt the blanket, and I'm going to be honest, it smelled like pee to me. But we think it might have been both because they were asking to, you know, check the baby's heartbeat and all this stuff. And I was like, I smell like pee. Like, I'm really embarrassed. I just peed myself. <laughs> and so my sweet doula, this again, one of those things that they that are so amazing. She took baby wipes and started, like, cleaning my legs up, like, wiping my legs. And she said she actually thinks my water did, like, break then. And it possibly was like a high leak um, and not just a huge gush because she said there was still liquid like coming down my leg as she was wiping. And like I obviously wasn't actively peeing myself right then. So I think it was just my water and not like just me bleeding or something. But I I wasn't having any gushes and it was like little tiny puddles. Like it was nothing huge. So I get on the table and, or like the table, the bed, and they put the, you know, the baby monitor, like the pink little wrap around me to get the baby's heart rate and to get my contractions. Boy, would I have loved to see the, the toke thing or whatever it's called, the the contraction um, counter thing, the paper. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Man, I should have asked to see that crap before I left. And I know it's not going to be in my files or nothing like that. I would love to see the little mountains on that paper. That is another thing I'd be, I would put that up on a piece of paper posted in my freaking living room. Like that is going in a freaking, like in a trophy or something. I'm not kidding. I would proudly represent those contractions in my house, but I don't have it. I'm telling you. So there's 20 people in the room. You got an OB, OB resident, um, a, a bunch of nurses, a bunch, a bunch of nurses. And you got nurses from the pediatrics. You got the pediatrician. You got the NICU team because his heart rate's dipping. You got a lot of people in there. Then you got my midwife. Um, Nick eventually shows up. You, one lady comes in looking, she's like, um, with an ultrasound machine. And she's like, we're just going to make sure baby's head down. And I remember here's where I get, I got, I got, I got feisty. I got a little feisty with them and I didn't mean to, and I, you know, felt bad about it or whatever. But I remember screaming the baby's fucking head down. He, the baby is head down. Like you do not have to check. I remember thinking, what the fuck, excuse my language, but literally what are y'all doing? Cause I felt my body pushing at this point. Like after I got strapped up and everything, once I had a chance, like just be there, like, oh my gosh, my body was pushing this baby out of my body. Like my body was pushing this baby out. And so I just thought this ultrasound is pointless. This is stupid. 
you know, like what, what is happening? Little did I know they were actually going to prep me for a C-section, but I remember asking to get checked. I was like, can someone check me? And they checked me and I'm, they, the, whoever had checked me, I don't even remember which person put their hands in me, but the person said, oh, she's complete. And so what my midwife said that they were doing, they were actually like getting ready for a C-section. Like there was things getting prepped. That's why there were so many people in there. A nurse came, tried to put another IV in my arm, busted, uh, busted up my arm. I've had this like huge bruise on my arm since the day I had him. And the anesthesiologist comes in and he's trying to be so nice. He's, he's Mr. Nice guy. He's like, hi, I'm from anesthesia. Um, would you like an epidural? And I was like, but you know, like I said, in the ambulance, like I was thinking, um, you know, I wanted something like that when I got there. But at this point I could tell, I really knew I didn't have time. And I remember telling him, I was like, I don't think I have time. And then that's when I believe I asked to get checked. Um, and so they checked me. And so apparently another doctor was like getting prepped and getting ready for the C-section. And I mean, obviously it wasn't, I guess, a, a giant emergency because I didn't get rushed off as soon as I got there or anything, but I, you know, I guess enough to have enough people like getting everything ready. And so instead of getting ready for surgery, they're like, oh no, we have to catch this baby. So remember how I said earlier about the OB resident at that MFM appointment that told me my baby would float my abdomen and blah, 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 blah. That was the lady that helps catch my baby and stitch me up afterwards. <laughs> confirmed by my doula where it was 100% the same lady and I just thought that was really ironic and I don't know if she remembered me or recognized me she didn't really say much to me you know they didn't really talk to me the whole time you know what I'm saying like afterwards or anything it was just you know they did their job and left but um I thought that was really really crazy so at one point they tell me to feel my baby's head and I did I put my hand down and I did feel his head it didn't feel like a head. It just felt like a butt or something. I didn't, you know, it didn't feel like a head, but I remember being, whoa, like what the hell? I wish I would have had a mirror so I could like see it. But at the same time, that might've traumatized me a little bit because I cannot imagine seeing myself tore that up, you know, like that. Ugh, so they had, I did not want to push on my back. Oh, and something they had, <laughs> something they did. I think it was that OB resident or one, one of the doctors told a nurse. They didn't ask me. And I know like we're in kind of a, not as, I mean, obviously not the worst emergency, but with this kind of is. And it's just like, this was just like a what the F moment. You know, the doctor tells the nurse, they say, put her legs in stirrups. And I yelled at them and I said, no, I'm not putting my legs in. You're not putting my legs in stirrups. No, we're not doing that. And I'm really proud of myself for sticking up for that because it's just like, that's just one of the things like, can't you ask? Don't you want to ask what I like? I mean, at least tell me It'd be like, hey, we, we think we need to do this or whatever. But just to be like, put her legs. I was like, no, we're not doing that. I felt really, I was really glad that I felt like I could stand up for myself this time for some things, like even if maybe it was not ideal. Um, but I remember I didn't want to push on my back. So I wanted, I was like, I want to get on my knees. I want to get on my knees. And they were like trying to like turn me and help me get on my knees. But then when I would get to my left side, I literally felt like his head, basically I was going to crush it. Like I couldn't, I mean, his body was in my birth canal, like right there. So I really, 
I, I couldn't, I couldn't move. <laughs> I just couldn't do it. So I had to stay on my back. You know, they're telling me, they're like, listen, you have to listen to us. I was like, no, you have to listen to me. I can't do this. And then the doctor's like, I get what you're saying. I understand what you're saying. But she's like, but you need to cooperate with us. And I'm like, okay, okay, okay. I remember screaming. I was like, where's Nick? Where's Nick? And my eyes are closed. And he's like, I'm right here, right here. He's like on the left side of me. I was like, thank God. Because he almost didn't make it. He gets there like right as I start to push, you guys. Like right at the very end. Um, And so my arm was bleeding from that like busted vein. And I remember, I can't remember if it was Nick or another man. It was a man in the room that said, where's that blood coming from? They were like, you really need to push with this next contraction. I remember my body was pushing him out on its own. And yeah, I would feel the need to give it a little extra, but I didn't like push forcefully at all. Like it would just be more like a little, like just an extra little help, nothing crazy. They said, you know, like push, 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 like you're taking the biggest poop of your life. <laughs> so within about three pushes, I mean, it was no more than three. It might've even been two. Um, I pushed with my effing life and I remember feeling like I did poop. And later on, I asked them, like, did I poop? And they said, no. I was like, listen, I'm not embarrassed. I want to know if I took a crap because I have not used the bathroom all weekend long. And it felt like I pooped. And they're like, no, you really didn't. Um, that was me busting out hemorrhoids. So that's been real fun. But, you know, I pushed with all my might. And that, it, yeah, it felt like I crapped myself. The I guess what I would think was the ring of fire, which was only, I, which I don't even know if it really was. But um, at one point I thought they were, it felt like they cut me with scissors and they didn't. My midwife was right behind them watching. It was just for a split second though. It wasn't long at all. And then when he was like coming out that last, that last push, I thought that they were digging their hands in me. Like it literally felt like, I guess it was the bones and his face structure, like his, his nose and his eyes and his mouth and just his chin and all that, like going against my vagina, I guess. But it felt like their hands were in me and I was yelling at them like as he's coming out. I didn't realize that that's what was happening. But I was like, what are y'all doing to me? Like, I literally thought that they were torturing me. <laughs> that's what it felt like. I swear to God. And they're like, that's your baby. It's literally what they said. But you know what? I will say, you know, as much as I've, I'm not for the coach pushing, I guess, unless of these kind of situations where obviously my son's, I, I'm not mad about it. Like it was, it was necessary. I needed the extra help his heart rate didn't need to stay down any longer. It had been like this. If you keep in mind for close to an hour, it's just, it's so funny how your birth plans really can turn out like just, just like with my son, my first son, you know, my, my birth plans actually did turn out very, very, very different than I had thought. Um, but I'm not mad about it whatsoever. I'm really, I have nothing but love and, and gratitude and happiness about the, how this all turned out. Um, but when I was pushing, you know, all the nurses, all the doctors, everybody, every single person in that room was telling me, keep going, keep going. You got this. He's right there. He's right there. He's right there. It's right there. And I was just, you know, it actually felt amazing to have this just room of these medical people <laughs> like cheering me on for a second there, because, you know, obviously from my issues with what happened with my son and just a lot of things, you know, I have issues with the healthcare system. And a lot of times it's really easy to kind of take it out on the people that are just working for the system. And 
I don't ever want to make it seem like that everyone's all the same. And just because there's one bad doctor or one bad nurse that they're all these bad people. And I know they're not. It's just that I, I had really huge trust issues and, and just animosity towards anybody in the field. Nurses were a lot less. Nurses are my jam. It's more like the doctors, honestly, but you know, but to have them all kind of cheer me on, I usually hated that. I remember that's why I didn't want a bunch of people at my birth. I didn't want my mom and a bunch of other people, you know, being there with me because I would see it in birth videos, like them yell, you know, telling them all, you got this, the baby's right there. You go, go, go. And I remember thinking that would piss me off. Like, I do not want that. I do not want people telling me to push. I don't want people like telling me what to do. But honestly, it was kind of an empowering moment to have all those people just cheering me on like a whole crowd, a crowd of people, you guys (laughs) all telling me I got this. And so, you know, then my baby was born and uh, he had so his cord was wrapped around his neck twice like a scarf. And so it makes sense just the way it was being compressed, um, you know, during transition when he was really going through the birth canal that it was just, it was enough of the cord to, and enough compression that it was causing his heart to stay, his heart rate to stay down. Obviously cords around the neck is a, you know, very common variation of normal. Um, It's not typically anything to be super afraid about, but you know, it, it was something that, happen with us in my in my honest opinion if I had been laboring any longer and if I wasn't 10 centimeters I was going to have another c-section and while it would have been necessary and I think I would have I would have known that it would have been really hard to come to terms um knowing how I had made it so far you know because I knew I had at least made it to seven centimeters so um I'm just really grateful that everything ended up working out how it did. And I do believe that my dad and God just played a huge, huge, giant role in this whole process. And I feel (laughs) I am going to cry. And I haven't cried in over a week (laughs) because I've been, I mean, this is good tears. I'm, I'm, this is not bad at all, but I just, I'm really grateful that I got that experience and to give birth in a similar setting in a place that once traumatized me it felt like I just you know I felt like with my first that when I felt all the the anger and the anxiety and the just the feelings I I was so mad at my doctor And I was so angry at all the people that had played a part in that because I felt like I was just abandoned and, and that I just, that I was alone. And, you know, everyone, you know, especially when I had my first, you know, every, every person in that room had a mask on. I never saw their faces. I didn't know who they were. And then this time I had a whole room full of these, these people. I could see everyone's face. I didn't feel like it was just a bunch of random people that I didn't know. It wasn't just a room full of eyes. They were all cheering me on. And yeah, there was moments where I was I was I wasn't talked to or asked. There was more just like being told what they were gonna do. But overall, I mean, it was just such a really healing experience. And um I'm really, really happy. That's why I just chose when I left that I, I I took my power back. I really did. I I felt ex- like 
instant anxiety was just gone. It just left. It's been gone. All of the things that I felt, you know, I used to think about my son's birth and I used to think about the doctor and just think about how mad I was at her. And then I just, why did she do that? Like, you know, she just didn't care that I wanted, she didn't care about what I wanted. She didn't care about my needs. She just all these things. And I used to just think about it all the time. And I hated being sad. I hated being angry. I didn't like feeling anxious 24 seven, but I know I had really, really bad, really, really bad experience with that. And so for it all to just be washed away and to just feel like, you know, I stood up for myself when I felt like I could. I, I, I chose, I did everything that I could, you know, and everything still turned out okay. It didn't turn out how I had thought, but in the end, I am actually really, really, I think this was better. (laughs) I think this was actually better. Like how crazy is it that that, and you would think like that, that doctor that had, you know, said that to have her be the one to, to stitch me up and, she gets to see every inch of my body, <laughs> you know, like it just didn't bother me because I, cause I did it. I did it in her presence. You know, I, I actually, I did it. I ended up having a second degree in like internal tear and which they said it was really deep and uh, I tore upwards and actually, so while they were, you know, trying to stitch me up, um, there was two of them down there doing it like simultaneously, I guess, together, like helping each other. I don't know exactly what was going on, but, um, they had to put a catheter in me afterwards because I tore so high that they did not want to sew my pee hole shut. (laughs) So I got a catheter put in, um, they gave me some morphine, which I don't think did anything, but you know, the stitching and all that, um, you know, I had the afterbirth, the placenta, oh my gosh, instant relief when that placenta comes out. Holy crap. That just was like, whew, that was just like icing on the cake right there. (laughs) Like seriously. Yeah. I mean, they, they were stitching me up and stuff. And I mean, it hurt, but like, God, there's nothing compared to pushing a baby out. Like, so it was just not, it wasn't the end of the world. And, you know, I know, um, A lot of people complain about the fundal massages. I only got like one or two and it really, I mean, again, like it was obviously really uncomfortable, but nothing compared to, nothing compared to what I had been through the last 12 hours. (laughs) You know, another thing they just didn't ask me, they were like, uh, go get her some Pitocin. And I was like, no, I'm not doing Pitocin. I was like, did I hemorrhage? They're like, no. I was like, I'm not doing Pitocin. And you know, that was so, it was so great to just, just to say no. <laughs> you know, I got pumped full of Pitocin for three days with my first. And I felt like personally, I do think that, you know, with all of the things combined, but Pitocin, I actually, I really do believe played a, a big role in, in how I felt um, postpartum, just having that exposure for so long. And so even if one little shot in the thigh, I don't know if would do much. I if I don't need it, I don't want it, you know? So I declined Pitocin and they didn't question me. Um, when it came to my baby, um, you know, I was able to decline all the things that I wanted to decline and never, no one pressured me in anything. That was another thing that was felt very, I just didn't feel like I had to fight with anybody. I didn't feel like I, 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 you know, that was something I think during my pregnancy, I always thought if I have to go to the hospital, I'm going to have to fight. And I remember thinking that all the time, 
all the time. Anytime I thought about going to the hospital, I'm like, I know I'm going to have to fight hard. And I didn't have to fight at all. I mean, I, that's why I said I felt like I, I had some control this time. So I was just able to say no to everything. They they took him over, obviously, because his heart rate had been down. They, like, went and assessed him real quick. And within five minutes, you know, while I was getting stitched up, they brought him over to me, did all the newborn exam stuff. Um, they didn't even take his measurements or anything. And, you know, I, I at that point, I did have my legs in stirrups uh, to, um, to get stitched up and whatnot. And so, but we got that golden hour. We got to be together really fast. You know, I got that time with my baby. I got the hormones. I got all of these things. And I don't say that, you know, I don't want anyone to ever feel bad about their birth experience um, ever. I don't think it's, it's not fun to, to feel, to be, to be sad about it, you know, but I feel like it really made a difference, you know, having all of that, having just the natural process go as it, as it was supposed to, um, I feel like it really helped me and my son just have that that bonding time and have that connection. And he latched on relatively quickly. He had a perfect latch in the hospital. Oh my gosh. He was a champ at nursing the whole time we were there. Um, you know, I was up walking around, like doing all the things. I, you know, I go to the bathroom fine. I'm I mean, but we get to our postpartum room, you know, and everything's going great. You know, my doula ends up showing up to the hospital. She actually gets there like right after I have him, but definitely 10 out of 10 could not have done it without her during the labor. A hundred percent. Um, that's, that's for certain. I think that's even where the most support comes from is during labor just to get you through to the end, you know, but she shows up and, you know, finally the room kind of clears out like one by one, you know, the NICU leaves and then the pediatrician's they go. And by the time I get stitched up, you know, the OBs go and we just have a nurse or two in here. And so my midwife and my doula and my, and my husband, were all just standing there talking or I'm laying in the bed holding the baby. And, you know, I was like, I can't believe I did it. I think that was one of the first things I said after he was born. I remember saying, I can't believe I just did that. I, and I, I told Nick, I was like, Nick, can you believe I just did that? <laughs> I'm pretty sure I said to him, I was just like, what just happened? Because it was so fast, you know, it was so fast. I mean, you hear of women pushing for hours and oh my gosh, my heart goes out to you mamas because I, you know, I don't know until I know, but I don't think I could do that. I, I read a story recently of a woman pushing for four hours. And I mean, I just, I, I can't imagine myself, <laughs> you know, three pushes. I mean, it was just so fast. I, I didn't even imagine it could go so quickly, you know? Um, and I remember thinking I wanted like, ideally in my head, I was like a six hour labor would be nice. Well, I ended up having almost a 12 hour labor. And, um, I mean, it does, it, it still went by very, very quickly. However, I think if it, again, if it had been any longer besides the heart rate stuff, um, I was getting very, very, very exhausted towards the end. I didn't get enough fluids in during labor for sure. I mean, it was hard for me to want to drink. Even when it was just offered to me, I was I was having a difficult time just wanting to just do anything but labor. Um, and then I basically didn't end up sleeping, you know, in the hospital. I was like, stay, you know, up and um, just so in love with my baby. And, you know, we just, we didn't get separated at all the whole time the whole time we were together, you know, just knowing my baby was with me and was safe and everything turned out okay. You know, I, I just felt a huge sense of relief. 
like, oh, it's over now. I can move on with my life. So that's the story. And, you know, I don't know if there's, I think there's things I've missed and there might be like little details here and there. And I don't know if it was as crazy for me to explain as I remember going through it, but just the whole experience I feel like was very, very euphoric. The, the, the pregnancy, all of it combined and even the postpartum period, which I had wanted to go into detail on this podcast about, but maybe I'll do that more when the fourth trimester ends, when, when he's a month or two old or three months old, um, and kind of give a, a better update because I'm only two weeks postpartum ish almost. And, you know, we're still kind of early in the game. So, um, I, I'll probably do another episode on that later on, but you know, I look back at who I was before I got pregnant. And while I felt like I was this, you know, having a a good experience and I was I was becoming a better person, um I I feel like a whole new mom, a whole new woman, a whole new me. I I have evolved so much and I don't say that to just like brag on myself. It's just wild to even look back at pictures and basically not even recognize myself. Like I, I, I look at myself now and I feel like my face has changed. I feel like I look different. I feel like my hair even looks different. I'm just like, I feel like this whole new person and not just because I got this, like I said, this birth experience, but like, I really, you know, a lot of things I learned in pregnancy, you know, something, um, that I don't think I went into detail on here maybe I did. Oops. If I'm re repeating stuff, sorry. I know we're all, we're two plus hours in. I appreciate all of you that listened so far, but you know, something that I did with his pregnancy, you know, I chose not to find out the gender and share it. And I chose to, um, to keep the due date private. Um, because I knew, I knew as soon as I hit 40 weeks, uh, people would be up my butt. If people knew I was 41 in six days when I had him that, oh my gosh, my phone would, I would have just been, it would have been so annoying and not to be mad at anyone else, but I just know myself and I don't, I didn't want to handle that. I didn't want to have to deal with that. And so, you know, secretly I was trying to just, you know, make it seem like I was a couple more weeks behind than I was. The main reason for that was not only, like I said, because, um, because I felt like people would, I would feel stressed out from questions and stuff. But, you know, even with the gender, I I learned, you know, like I said, reading those uh, stories in the mom groups of births, you know, not going as you plan when you, when you really have worked hard and, and tried to work towards having a, a good birth that sometimes things don't work out as you want. And so sometimes you really don't have control over birth. And obviously we know that, you know, according to my circumstances, but something I could control, I could control not knowing the gender. That was like the one thing I could control. What else could I control? There's nothing else I have complete control over, but having that piece of information, it just felt like I had control of something as well as not sharing the due date. It felt like, you know, only me and Nick knew when I was due and it felt really good to just to have control of that. You know, because it's just like the two little things that I could complete control over and no one could tell me otherwise. That felt really good. And not only that, having learned to set boundaries. And I remember multiple people telling me, saying, um, 
I can't wait for you to not be pregnant anymore. Like, because apparently, you know, the way I was acting seemed kind of like moody. Well, no, it was just that I learned how to finally set boundaries and try to communicate effectively. And yeah, I sound like a complete asshat sometimes because it was the first time in my life that I've tried to just be honest with people and not tiptoe and and just be who I am and, and not try to to fit a narrative for somebody else. You know, when I explained to people why I was making the decisions I was making, I explained, it's not a you thing. It's me. It is me because I know how I respond. I know how I react. And while I wish I didn't always get triggered or that I didn't always act or respond this way until I can fully get a grip on it and figure it out, you know, going through therapy and all this stuff, I need you guys to understand that this is just, that's just me. And I'm just trying to communicate that with you so you guys know. <laughs> you know, I'm trying to let you know. I'm trying to keep you in the loop. And um, I guess it just came across kind of like snooty or whatever. But I really, I, I did I did learn boundaries. I learned communication. Uh, and am I perfect at it? No, not even close. But um, definitely worked on quite, quite a bit. This brought out a passion in me. For birth advocacy. And this is again why I'm just grateful for every single, everything that has happened with every birth, with every pregnancy, with every, every single thing. It just all adds up to make perfect sense in the end. Having this passion to help other moms, you know, and, and share my journey and, and share the facts and, and share resources and, and just, you know, help people have better birth experiences. And, you know, while we, like I said, we don't always have control. There's a lot of things we can do to make the outcomes more ideal. Um, and that's why I think all the prep work that I did, this pregnancy, all the research, I mean, I became, I kind of became obsessed with birth. I, I truly, I did. And I still am. I mean, I, I'm, I love watching the birth videos. I love listening to the podcast. I love, you know, watching all these doulas and, and learning from these midwives and reading the books and just, and learning all this information. It's just a huge passion of mine. And I love being a part of the mom community. And even if people don't choose to make the same types of decisions as me, I want moms to feel informed. I want moms to feel confident in their choices around their births and pregnancies and all that. And to feel like they are really making the best decision for them and their baby because that's how they feel based on X, Y, and Z, like the amount of research that they've done, plus their care providers. You know, care providers are important, but mother intuition is is very undervalued. Um, so all those things combined, I want moms to feel that way, no matter what the birth decision is, whether it is to, you know, there's moms at free birth. I am I'm not against it. That is a mom taking full accountability of her of her birth, um, of her child. And I will tell you, if there's anything I would do differently next time, um, here's what I would do. I would choose, you know, a different midwife that was okay with me going past 42 weeks um, and one that knew breach delivery because um, I think, uh, I don't know if I mentioned it, but my baby was breached for a moment there um, towards the end. And I started getting really, really nervous about that. Yeah, that was a, something I think I might have skipped over completely. But baby was breached for a while, um, for a couple weeks. And it was, we were getting close to the end where I felt like, oh, baby's not going to flip, you know. And um, 
no one around here would do breech birth. And while I felt completely comfortable birthing a baby breech, I like I, I knew I, I felt like my body could do it. I didn't feel like it was dangerous. Um, but I did feel like I, I didn't want to do it by myself, you know, like I didn't want to birth alone. And so, um, because if it, the baby was breached, I would, I mean, I didn't, I didn't have anybody around that was qualified to aid in a breach delivery. So I would want to have a provider that would feel comfortable doing that. And, and, and amongst other things that that's the main things I would change. Cause I do wonder, like, I do have this curiosity in my mind, how far would I have went if I didn't get the membrane sweep and I didn't do the midwife's brew, because keep in mind, those are forms of induction. So, you know, in a way I did get induced. Um, we triggered my body in different ways to kind of get things going. And, um, you know, I'm really glad I avoided a medicalized induction, but it still was an induction regardless. So obviously maybe I would do it again, you know, like it worked out the first time, like if, if I was just tired of being pregnant, but you know, I was okay with going over 42 weeks. I was comfortable with the risks. I knew what the risks were. I'm really, really grateful that I, you know, that everything just worked out. You know, I had my baby on Mother's Day. And, um, and yeah, so that's really just the gist of everything. And I know this was a really, really long story. And hopefully it didn't disappoint. And if it did, I'm sorry. But, you know, I just, like I had said, on top of just wanting moms to feel empowered and confident in their birth choices, I I hope that anyone that's listening, whether you plan to have kids, want more kids, have had a C-section, want a VBAC, or um, want to plan another C-section. I mean, I just, any type of decision, um, you know, some people are okay with not researching, and some people are okay with kind of letting their care providers, whatever that may look like, kind of have total control. But my advice would be, you know, and take it or leave it. It's fine. Uh, it won't hurt my feelings either way. But if you have plans to have more kids um, and you don't feel like you really know much about what the procedures and things look like and all this and that, um, I would encourage you to just to research a little bit because it really can change, I think, truly how your postpartum experience goes as well, just to know, you know, there's things that you can decline. There's things that you can say yes and no to. There's, there's things that you don't have to do that you think you have to do, but you really don't. And I don't know, it can bring a different sense of, like I said, that you have a sense of control, you, you know, that you, you had a say so, and it wasn't like things just happened to you. Cause I know sometimes we can feel that way and not just me going through what I went through. I mean, you hear it time and time again, that um, moms aren't even sure what happened to their baby that like their baby was given things that they didn't even say anything about. And it's just like little things like that, you know, kind of has a mom questioning. Um, and I, I didn't want to sit here and like question everything postpartum. So anyway, that's just my advice to anyone, you know, take it or leave it. It's up to you. But I think it really made a difference and it's making a difference in my postpartum experience as well. So I love and appreciate you guys. I really appreciate everyone listening this far. If you have any questions, or anything you'd like to know about it, if there's something maybe I missed or something you'd like to know more about, um, feel free to like, you could DM me on Instagram, Facebook, just any of those places. Um, and I would love to answer your questions. Thanks so much for listening. I will try to have as much resources in the show notes as possible. And if not, be on the lookout on my Instagram, I will have, I'll make a highlight for it. So love you guys. Appreciate y'all. And I'll see you in the next episode. Bye.